Welcome to episode 213 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man over there in Oakland. He's eating stale french fries. He'll tell us why. It's Randy Michael Statt. That's correct. I'm eating stale french fries I got from Mago down the street in Oakland, California, uh, because we've been recording since 11 a.m., and it's currently 4 why why do we do this why it's it's hot i may or may not have a fever i definitely don't need more cowbell that's not gonna help <laughs> why why do we go so long the it's, it's not worth it listeners it's not worth it <laughs> that's what i'm saying i'm just very tired oksano sachi's here Oksana weigh in on why we've been up here for five hours because your boyfriend, your life partner, your worst half (laughs) has to do 90 minutes of pre-production in between the actual interview and the, the intro of the show. I mean, I think there were also some technical issues this week. So it had nothing to do with the length. It had nothing, story. To, nothing to do with the length of the show. Randy, <laughs> can you confirm that? I can confirm. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> Oksana, I will say this the nicest way. Control your bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not that. <laughs> I will say, I've got, I've seen several comments. Um, one of, um, I'm blanking on his name. Blood four. Blood simple. No. Yes, four. Blood four. Former, former guest on the, the Randy's Chris bully. DePredis. Yes. Uh, one of his friends l- started listening after he was on the show, and she said, long format is fine. It's as long as it needs to be, and she's now a regular listener. She's just, she's just being nice. <laughs> you track her listenership. She doesn't listen to the whole episode. I don't know. No how one that. does. <laughs> I do. Joining us this week proud to have on michael venus and thomas friedrich uh michael's the director thomas is the writer uh for a film that we covered as a part of our fantasia coverage this year sleep um this was one of our absolute favorites uh that we walked away from the festival with um here's the unfortunate part um when we do interviews and sometimes when we have multiple channels open sometimes Um, I feel like that opens us up uh, for a little bit of of technical um, errors. So uh, we, the connection uh, that Michael had wasn't the best. Michael was going in and out and it was uh, frankly rather hard to conduct this interview because most of what Michael says, uh, it was hard to extrapolate because uh, the, the coverage was spotty. Um, and then um, it's Thomas, who, who was very clear, sounded like he was in a room down the hall. <laughs> and he was the one we could hear the, the clearest. So um, we did actually have to switch over uh, from different recording uh, devices. We went from Zencaster over to Skype uh, to see if that helped. Uh, it did not. So Randy will do his magic to, to see what we can to, to salvage. Uh, it, it, frankly, it was a great interview. Uh, given everything, all the challenges we had, uh, these two are great guys. And uh, this was their first feature film. And uh, sleep, sleep is great, man. And uh, I believe it hits the U.S. Uh, here in October here uh, pretty soon as, as a part of, I believe, the Chicago Film Festival uh, will be there. Uh, so definitely check out this film uh, when you have a chance. 
and uh, stay tuned for the interview. Despite all of its technological uh, deficiencies, we were able to conduct it the best way we could. So, uh, Randy, I apologize, but uh, more work ahead of you. Oh, good, man. We're just floating in space trying to communicate to Germany through wires that are literally on the ocean floor. So sometimes it happens. It really is, man. Ocean floor. Isn't that wild? I thought it was satellites in the sky. What are you, P.O.D.? Negative. Huh? That is a song called Satellite. Oh, my God. I don't know any of their And an album called Satellite. Oksana Valeri Nubanubanuba Osachi. What have you got for us this week? So, as we heard last week, this weekend is the Dead of Night Film Festival, October 3rd, and it's 100% free, streaming on Vimeo. They have 27 brand new shorts, four Q&As with filmmakers, one quiz, and two twisted bedtime stories. And not geo-locked. Not geo-locked. Free for the whole world to watch. Um... The downside, if you look at their Facebook event page, I think it shows you when it starts in your time zone. It starts at 3 a.m. for us. Hell yeah. <laughs> so we might miss a couple of those shorts. Y'all will still be up. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> vampires. I live with vampires. Right? <laughs> um, you can see the full lineup, time breakdown, everything, and get links to um, everything associated at uh, twoheadedsnake.co.uk. Also, I love British websites. They're so adorable. Oh, I'm not co. <laughs> um, also, um, this week, A Werewolf in England, the new Dark Temple motion pictures <gasps> film, is available. Will be available on DVD in the UK. I think if you go to Amazon UK, it's out. It will. It's coming out Monday. What's it? He's supposed to screen. He's in a screen. He's busy. We're supposed to send a screen. <laughs> we'll have to follow up with Charlie. Him. That is going to be available on DVD. Um, it's a it's a period horror comedy about a parish a parish counselor, a criminal, and a criminal who take refuge in a remote inn, unaware that flesh eating werewolves are lurking in the in the woodside, and they're hungry. It's uh, again it's written and directed by Charlie Steeds, who will have. No less than 100 movies by the time he's 40. No joke. Seriously. Randy, where do you stand on werewolves? Uh, they're all right. Not my favorite. I, boom. I'm hungry like the wolf. <laughs> I'll get that to you. I, I've seen the trailer multiple times now. Um, it's a practical werewolf. I love it. I can't wait to watch this. I'm going to order the DVD no matter how. Nothing I hate more than an impractical werewolf, so... Out there, you got you and your the bits aren't dried out in this room. <laughs> no, um, all right. So, also, the day after this episode goes up, 12 hour shift will be available on um VOD. Oh, yeah, we talk about that, you little jerk. <laughs> so, our DD, I'm sure Russell told you our game ended early, which was 11 o'clock. I know, I heard y'all come in <laughs> at a reasonable hour. I was confused. 11.30, yeah. We didn't start the movie until 12.30, though. Still, so, though. Should have gave me a heads up. It's nuts. This is a breach of contract. <laughs> Written and directed by Brie Grant, who's been in way more things than I have ever realized, because she always looks different um, in anything she's in. Like, she was in Dexter. She was Masuka's intern, which I never knew. Yeah. Um, 
So she wrote and directed it. It's going to be from Magnet Releasing, available October 2nd. And then next week, on Tuesday the 6th, uh, They Live Inside Us will be available on VOD. It's from The Witching Season Films, which um, years ago, Justin interviewed the Justin who? Coot? (laughs) Justin Coot is who? Former third chair. Thank you so much. A lot of new listeners don't know, because he hasn't been here in 19 years. Yeah, but doesn't Russell mention him, like, every week? (laughs) But he gives context. Justin Coote, former third chair of the show, interviewed uh, Michael Balif, I think it's B-A-L-L-I-F, the filmmaker behind um, They Live Inside Us, which started as an episodic, um, I think, six-part series or something. On It's available on Amazon Prime. And this is the film version. So that's going to be out on Tuesday the 6th. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those at podcast at overlooktheater.com. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as I messed the whole thing up because I. (laughs) The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter. 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 (laughs) Listen to the show on all the different platforms. Find the show on all the different social media things. I don't know why after 212 of these I can't do it today. Probably because we've been here. For five hours. Ouch. <laughs> Ready to keep that in. That's that's what we call effect. For Randy, Russell, myself, Oksana, enjoy this episode, and we'll see you for 214. Goodbye. Thank you to Zombie King for this week's two-week... Wait, what? What is this segment called, Russell? Two-sentence two horror stories? Yeah, there you go. Russell, are you following me on Twitter? I have a tweeter now. I, d- I did, although your profile picture is clearly not you. Well, I, there needs to be some shroud of mystery with me. Okay. <laughs> what is that picture of? That's Phil Spector. Okay. <laughs> You're a big fan, I'm taking. Sure. Who is it? Randy, tell him. Yeah, the wall of sound. It's a uh, a production method that, that Phil Spector was all about, and I'm, I back it. All right. Creepy Clark is apparently an audiophile. And I have I have excellent uh, sound-reducing technology in my dungeon, so there's no wall of sound that could break all the screams in my dungeon. <laughs> okay. Which you- one day Randy will come down there and we'll hang out and stuff. You know, Netflix and chill and, you know, fucking <laughs> watch Tiger King or something. All right. Cl- Clark was yelling at me about this production episode already, so get out of here. Okay, goodbye. You've got to be nicer to Creepy Clark. Why? He puts himself out there, man. I don't know. He's trying to be a part of the show. 
you push him and then he and then you won't let him uh interact you were cracking the whip on me i and i will you know everybody listening i'm sorry we're really playing up the morning radio thing and uh i might have said i was ready and then did an hour of production an hour will, will for 90 reply. minutes for 90 minutes we were in pre-production after our right. interview <laughs> which oh man yeah, so, you know, I'd hate to start this episode off by talking about how much pre-production there is, just to disappoint everybody. Yeah, you stretched out pre-production, <laughs> but as soon as production starts, all right, clip record, get the fuck out of here, we gotta talk about Miley Cyrus. Well, you were like, beating me, I, I know. Come on, dude, Creepy right. Clark's a nice guy, he's got a tweeter now, Yeah, he's hitting on Randy on social media, it's great. Now that I know he's an audiophile, we should probably be friends. See, why don't you tell him these things? Y'all need to be nicer to Creepy Clark. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> there we go. Also, Creepy Clark merch uh, coming soon. Yeah, right. Well, somebody's got to figure out what he looks like first. Although. I told you what he looks like, and you said you would work on that, and then you didn't. Although, I think Oksana might have been following him on Instagram. Now, did you ever show Randy that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was like I if do. you were a Justin Bieber fan. Oh, yeah. did we show Randy? <laughs> I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't did. think we showed Randy. I don't know if it would be cool if we put somebody's Instagram no, photo right, online. So, so let's don't do that. Okay. If anybody um, can imagine, if, if Clark uh, were, what, maybe eight years younger, and you had a nice head of blonde hair. Randy, I'm sending it to you right now. So... Uh, Russell, give some, give our listeners some context of, of who this uh, person is. This well, is just a person Oksana I follows? I don't know. Oksana was like, hey, uh, I was following Bizarro Clark on um, Instagram, apparently. And it's like, well, that's a weird thing. Like, how did that even come up? And she's like, well, I, I guess she has one of those apps where it's like the least interacted people or whatever. And he was number one. And uh, it looks like if you were eight years younger. Randy, click that picture. I'm looking at it right now. Does that close. not look like emo Clark? That this looks like me if I had never stopped listening to Incubus. <laughs> and again, it's bananas. It's again, uh, great. Oh God, don't show me that picture. It's fucking creepy, dude. It looks like you. It looks, don't do that. It's it, now my eyebrows are, are much better. You know what? We're fucking people. We live on this planet. We could just DM the motherfucker, and if he approves it, then we'll put it out there. Right, y'all do that. I'll hit him up. As the talent, I want nothing to do with that side of the production. I understand. And just like when I contacted the other Clark Little, who uh, has made a career out of his name and is a fabulous surf photographer. Uh, as a reminder, he got in some controversy about CGI. Oh, I know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, we got more controversy to come. I know you got you got a BBC controversy that we'll be talking about. The BBC. I got a fucking Star Wars controversy. Um, but uh, th there was a controversy this last Thursday uh, during our isolation stream. Um, one, uh, Eddie the Gamer Gold, he, I think he engineered like two episodes of the show. He's one of the barely functional gamers. He's been working with me recently. He's come over to my weird little one percenter warehouse and... Um, now he's on my schedule, and it's been fucking hectic. I don't know why quarantine has not affected the rich, surprisingly, right? And they're still buying all their little knickknacks. Eat the rich, bro. We are fucking <laughs> so busy. So we were like, dude, Thursday was brutal. And um, you know what happens when you have like a drinking uh, session scheduled after a bad day of work? I haven't drank in six months. Oh, dude. It was brutal. So we, we just we came on the lit. 
We started up at our regular time, 8 uh, PST, and we uh, just went 4 hours and 40 minutes. I think we were almost done at 1 a.m., where normally we only stream for 3. I don't think I remember the last two, but I know it was doing bits. It's probably terrible. And how does that make you feel? Uh, I don't know. I had a lot of fun. Uh, people hung in there the whole time. Anyway, the controversy that came out of that episode was, I don't remember how, but Debra, <laughs> Debbie Harry came up. Might have been A.K.A. Blondie. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't know why. I was thinking Videodrome. I was like, I don't know her character's name. <laughs> Maybe it was Videodrome. Maybe that's why she came up. But anyway, I was like, yeah, you know, Debbie Harry. Nobody on the chat or on the fucking couch knew who she was except for Randy. Why would they? Hell yeah. She's not for boomers, dude. She's here. But wait. No, boomer. We have the opposite problem. We have like, Debbie Harry is for boomers. Yeah. Gaming is not for boomers. No, like Therefore, Gen Z. Why would they know who Debbie Harry is? Oh, pop culture. Dude, a rock band has fucking Blondie on it. That Blondie, not yeah. Debbie Harry. Yeah, they I don't, think you got a point. They don't know uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's real name, Lou Alcindor. They oh, don't know these <laughs> I didn't know that either. Because I'm better than you. <laughs> yeah, so that came up, and uh, Randy used it as a great segue to... Um, once again asked me uh, if I had watched the video he recommended. <laughs> yeah, because I'm famous, famously always recommending YouTube videos. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like, the, it was maybe the next day, maybe two days later, uh, a video came out from some like award show or something where Miley Cyrus was covering uh, Heart of Glass. So I sent it to you because it felt uh, very relevant, although I don't know if you remembered talking about Debbie Harry on the stream. Did I talk about Miley at all? No, but I know you're into Miley too, so I put two and two together. I, to be clear, huge Hannah Montana fan. I love the sound of like 10 dudes <laughs> writing lyrics and music for a little girl <laughs> who they are robbing of her education because they have her perform all day, every day. Um, Miley, although she's got a really interesting voice, she's a little lamb choppy for me. And she does a lot of that, uh, and I can't really, <laughs> am I wrong there? I think that's called vibrato. Yeah, but I mean, it's so aggressive vibrato. It's yeah. just like, uh, like I, uh, it's not cute. I don't know. And also she's very ballady or like, I don't know. I, I don't do well with genre blending, which she's kind of all about. Anyway, yeah, you recommended a clip. I believe it's from the iHeartRadio music That's festival. right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you told me to play it on the air and listen to it for the first time, so I'll do that. Again, uh, we're entering a, another game segment here, so I have uh, five more clips of Miley covering songs. Do Clark, you? you ra- no, I don't. Thank God. <laughs> also, I'll admit that was not a video game, and I, or I mean a, a game, and I apologize for my WAP thing. Clark, <laughs> go ahead and veto this whenever. Just give me, like, you got to give me, like, 20 seconds or something. 20? God. Yeah, here we go. That's not that bad. Oh, there's none of that vibrato here. No. Oh. It's not bad. I, Clark, you hated this thing, though. Okay. <laughs> really? I didn't say I hated it. 
It's not bad. I'm I into it. No, I have no interest in listening to this. I think it kind of slaps. I think the most unappealing thing is what she's wearing. Oh, yeah. we got some nanas. Look, she made it her own. It's fine. You know, there was a great video when I used to it's be not my thing. really into rock band and like uh, Guitar Hero and shit. They had her backstage playing one of her own songs on rock band and she failed out. And it was, I don't know, it was, a, it was an interesting thing because, you know, that game just breaks it up by um, you're, if you're in the right octave. Actually, the octave doesn't matter. It's just if you're hitting the note. I'm sorry, octave? Yeah, Octavia. Is that, is that incorrect? Octave. Okay, there we go. It's been, um, oh boy, what, fourth grade <laughs> since I was reading sheet music? So please forgive me. Anyway, I thought that was okay. We'll talk about octaves later in the show. And, you know, Randy, um, I, I really started to look up to you as a, um, my guru of music. Clark, he's a little pretentious and definitely very mean. <laughs> How whenever am I he... pretentious with my music? Like like when Clark offers up a new thing, he'll be like, check this out. You'll like it. And the shit you like sucks. And it's like, oh, okay. You did sneak in a little jab there. What are you talking about? Randy's just like, <laughs> here it is. Lay what it is out. an example? <laughs> you just, you like to beat me when you're offering me a gift. So I'm always kind of like, incorrect. Oh, no, I found a couple of different. Um, I should have told you this earlier, but I, I found some more mashups that were very good. Oh, well, we already have a cl- so. I thought you hated this damn song, and I was expecting no. Th- again, this is all projections from you, brother. Randy, <laughs> didn't he say he literally like word for word hated it? Uh, no, I only heard you say that he hated oh. it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Randy. God damn it! And I called you my guru of music. <laughs> anyway, uh, Clark uh, brought a clip to battle. You, he wants to see your Miley and raise you and raise you a, a Vincent Diesel, a Vinny D. Here we go. We got an intro from another performer, uh, Kelly Clarkson. A What's special up, girl? message from our friend Vin Diesel, who actually has a new single dropping today. Check this out. Kelly, <laughs> I am so honored to be able to debut my music on your show. Also, he's wearing glasses because like you right you, now. Since you first and a trijack idol. <laughs> And till today, have somehow maintained your authenticity. And he's also high I as fuck. I am blessed that on a year that I would normally be on a movie set. And as you know, Bloodshot that's too. not possible. <laughs> I've had another creative outlet. Another way to show you or share with you my heart. And here we go. <laughs> Get to the lyrics. You want me to jump ahead? Yeah. I don't know a fucking word he's saying. Not only either, and it also it sounds like he's about to sneeze. (laughs) It sounds like this would be a background music to a video game where you're racing a pretty car in a like rainy night. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that kind of generic hack shit. It's 100% that. And it's, a, it's like a music producer. He's like, yeah, I've been sitting on a sample for about two years. <laughs> uh, with your name, your mumbled voice here. Uh, yeah, Calvin Harris turned this one down, so yeah. you take it. Uh, Vinny D showed up. He's he's blown out on coke right now, and yeah. uh, he wants to record a track. So Also, but we will say that yesterday, uh, the, the great uh, Chuggy came over. Of course, I sampled this, and Chuggy loved it. Yeah, I'm 
Was it's it? good. I liked it. <laughs> now, Randy, how did you feel about that clip? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty generic, like poppy, dancey type music. But I don't know. Yeah, I could barely understand what he was saying, though, either. I will tell you this, though. I would listen to that 100 times before I would ever listen to Elon Musk's song again. I never <laughs> heard it. It's, it's the worst thing. Well, why did he do it? Was I don't know. It, but because if, of grime? If the Cybertruck was a sound, then that's what his music okay. is. Okay, well, I mean... Awful. When you're dating Grimes, I imagine she would be a pretty good producer. Am I wrong there? It's all, it's it's EDM weird shit. Oh. And it's like... Did he come back from, like, Burning Man? Dude, that's like, what it sounds like. <laughs> awful. Uh, all right. Yeah, um... So again, thank you both for sharing your music stylings. I believe Mickey pulled that. Oh yeah, thank you, Mickey. That's where yeah, that's where I found it on the Facebook. Yeah, what the fuck? The three friends are digging up some Vinny D, which people do not know about clearly. I I believe when we first played that clip, there were like a hundred thousand plays, and now um, even with the Kelly Clarkson bump, it's only up to two hundred thousand. <laughs> we got that that KCB. Anyway, yeah, goddamn, so dumb. Um. There's something I wanted what to talk about. What the hell? What happened? There's like 19 scratches on my hand. Oh, shit. Stigmata, What dude. is that? <laughs> oh, dude. You want to see stigmata? One, Look. two, three, four, five, six. I have no. nine little scratches you on know my why. hand. You know why? Why? What's the square root of nine? I don't... Three. <laughs> there you go. It's it's mocking the Holy Trinity. <sighs> my I, hunting daughter. <laughs> I learned that from James Wan. I'm sorry. It's probably because I was mean to Creepy Clark. It's You're a getting... nice day for an exorcism, father. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you want to see stigmata? Look at my wrist. You see the dots there? What? Is... Oh, my God. They're healing up. They don't look that bad. You've got little dots on your hand. You know why? Why? Because when I left Chris's house, I fucking ate it. I ate it bad. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, I was a little What, drunk. are you trying to do an ollie? What do you I mean? I don't know what I was doing. It's one of those things where you, the only thing you remember is the impact. Like every, oh, you just fell? Every Yeah, I, tr- I ate it bad. Because oh, you were drunk. Yeah, I was a little uh, under the weather. Yeah, I know. I was get- getting my high school. I never drank in high school. Randy, you're drunk now. Do you ever fall down? <laughs> no, I don't actually like to get that drunk. I just have like, you know, one or two and chill off that for a little bit. And then I sober up and then I go to bed. Oh, that's so boring. boring. Yeah, you know, I have one or two and then I'm like, eh, you know what? Uh, let's speed it up a little bit. And then, Plus, you know, I'm I, mostly drinking alone, too, so I feel like it's... George Thorough good? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get, like, smashed alone, you know? But you can, like, get a light buzz alone and feel not too depressed. Yeah. I, I drink one time alone ever. And, uh, really? It's only more depressing when you find out I was drinking um, Jaeger from the bottle while watching <laughs> Borat. <laughs> Hell yeah. I can help on that, though. It was fucking depressing. I, I don't think I made it through the whole thing because somebody hit me up and I left. No. But I, I engaged. I sat down on the floor and I opened the bottle and I went, guess I'm doing this tonight. All right. This next thing, I don't know. I'm going know. in blind on this next yeah. one. Yeah. Is that on purpose on your part? Yeah. Um, before I segue to that, my butt hurt after I fell down mm-hmm. when I was drunk too. Oh, not not emotionally, but physically? No, like my, my where my your, wallet is. Your glutamus maximus? Yeah. My, I had a wallet bruise. Oh. And I was like, Oksana, if I fell forward and I've got had a stick- wallet bros there in this economy, you know oh, what I mean? <laughs> no, you haven't. You've been <laughs> as fickle as ever. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm hurting. Okay. I don't I don't buy it. I'm shelling too much money out. I was good for a while, but uh 
You know, I'd go out there, I'd go to Wendy's, I'd, I'd get a large Frosty. You know why? Because it didn't make a dent. <laughs> <laughs> now it's making dents. Dude, I've been drinking Frosties like a maniac. Frosties are great. Randy, and your thoughts. eating Wendy's, too. Okay, can we talk about the Wendy's bacon pub cheeseburger for a minute? Yeah. It's not good. Okay. <laughs> Wait, no, no. That's, that's it. A good, that's a good segue, though, because you've been uh, flirting with the idea of doing Twitter content. I think here's here's my idea. And uh, please, if, if uh, again, we always welcome feedback on the show. And if you think this is a good idea, please email us at podcastoverlook.com. And if you don't say anything, we're going to think it's a great idea. And we're if just you think it's it. a bad idea, email <laughs> us at podcastoverlook.com. <laughs> I think because I was eating the the bacon pub cheeseburger massacre and uh, pretzel bun, and I was I thought maybe we could do a small thing on Twitter where I would do food reviews and then try to compare these new special menu items to horror movie franchises. Oh, okay. I'd be interested. And in I would you... I would break down the flavor profiles of that and then try to compare that to. Uh, a horror film. You, so, what if it's good though? Then I would. Okay, yeah. you'd still make. Okay, still I didn't know it if up. it's like, oh, this is the you know Baconator Massacre because it tastes like a you know dead body. I mean, again, <laughs> I'm know, sure, sure you do it better, but the ceiling is very low. Okay. So. Anyway, to get you on camera, I think it would be a good exercise. We're clearly uh, moving like two snails towards that direction. Yeah, but. I think we'll do it. It'll be fine. But anyway, the, um, uh, Randy, so, stay away from the uh, the Wendy's pretzel cheese pub thing. I do love a pretzel bun, but yeah, I'll stay away. The pretzel bun's not the issue here. The issue <laughs> is that it's it's too much bullshit. Yeah. That's the issue, is that you've got the pub cheese, you've got the bacon, you've got the crispy onions, and a, 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 there's a strange Dijon flavor that overpowers the bun, the burger itself is not very seasoned so the patty's bland but you get all this other salt from everything else all right are you working shopping it right now or are we going to do a little no because okay. i no, i just has a little taste okay because i'm like I'm, I'm curious how we're going to get into a horror movie i was thinking about it but that's why i got okay to that's fine i mean this is a good platform to try things out all right so tell us about josh gad before i talk about my butt again oh yeah i just i thought this was important and uh very self-deprecating so again, I have stigmata on my wrist from eating it. I fell forward clearly. Yeah. Yet I woke up. And Always was, fall forward, brother. There was a fruit <laughs> from my wallet on my um, my glute, right? Uh-huh. And I was like, "How the fuck did that happen?" I'm like, "What happened?" And Oxana was like, "Well, you fell off the bed in the middle of the night," and she was like, "I couldn't Jeez. wake you up, and I think you fell on your boot." So it, <laughs> you don't remember falling out of the bed? I, I remember waking up on the floor. Oh. <laughs> but she said, I don't know what happened because when I fell out of the bed, my, my head was north, right? And I woke up, it was south. She's like, so something happened in the middle of the night. Yeah, you you <laughs> flipped sides. <laughs> you went to the other side overnight. So if you want to watch... Brothers uh, against brothers. If you want to watch how I ended up on the floor and uh, with the marks of stigmata, um, that isolation episode will be up for like a week on Twitch. Which, and oh God, there are people are watching it and it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Well, that's the purpose. Baby. Anyway... Um, I have a grievance to air. Actually, no, no, I shouldn't. So a film I fucking hate from a hack. A terrible hack. Ter- he's doing a disservice to cinema. He goes by the name of J.J. Abrams. Mm. <laughs> and uh, there, was a, there was a brief controversy uh, that came out of an interview from uh, Josh Gad, who I believe, I believe people are stepping in for Kimmel. 
Yes. He had a blackface uh, schnafu, and then he's like, you know, I've been doing this show for 20 years, and today's a good day to take a vacation. He's back now. No relationship, though. Anyway, yeah, so this was like last week, I think. And uh, Josh Gad, a.k.a. the voice of Olaf, <laughs> a.k.a. I think he was in the Book of Mormon. Yes. Yeah, also he fucks Qbert in Pixels. Also, yeah. <laughs> How could I leave that off the resume? Anyway, um, he has, he has a conversation with uh, Daisy Ridley who played Ray and uh, she confirmed some uh, shenanigans um, here. Let, let me throw it to that. Actually, I have that queued up over here. Here we go. Have you been keeping Ray's secret from the beginning? Did you know about the parentage? Like, uh, tell me about that, that journey of when you found out. No, at the beginning there was toying with like an Obi-Wan connection. And then um, it really went, there were like different versions. And then it really went to that. She was no one. And then it came to episode nine and JJ pitched me the film and was like, oh yeah, Palpatine's granddaddy. And I was like, awesome. And then two weeks later, he was like, oh, we're not sure. So it kept changing. So then even I was filming and I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. Until the very end. Yeah. It, so they confirmed that even while they were filming, the script was not set in stone. And people were very angry. And I'm fine with that, brother. It's fucking bullshit. Life is flexible, dude, man. It was so, dude. It was. You gotta so find good. it in the moment, dude. Go find full Malik. Moment, man. This. What are y'all wearing Michael Bay shirts right now? <laughs> we'll throw up eighty cameras and we'll capture the movie somewhere. Yeah, brother. No, it's bullshit. And JJ had no clear idea. He clearly did not give a shit. <sighs> you Star Wars people need to chill out. He's. <laughs> and it's Honestly, the worst movie. Will you listen to me? Like, okay. Why is Star Wars so why why is Star Wars people so <laughs> entrenched with Star Wars? Well, uh, I could I could really go There's deep on 0% that. chill with Star Wars people. So the thing that happened, I think I briefly mentioned it on the show, is that when they were looking for more backstory when they decided these movies are actually making a lot of money, which they weren't originally, but after the the first tri- trilogy they're like, we need more. They turned to a game company that makes tabletop games who had been developing the lore without any of the film um, people and uh, connected to anybody who had worked on the movies. And they expanded it while being true to the story. So you get this unique position where they're like, they're like, what is Greedo? You know, Rodian. Well, what does that mean? Or like the Mandalorians, they're, they're growing it Guido? out. Oh, Greedo, yeah. And uh, call back to another hole in the head. And uh, which was uh, this past weekend and it was a lot of fun. Clark doesn't want me to talk about it. What, what, why would, why won't I want you to talk about it? You can talk about it. Okay. Yeah, me and Randy watched it. I just it. didn't watch a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I only watched an Instagram video from Benji that made me furious. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to play it? We'll play it right now. Okay. Anyway, to close the book on that, um, the sad thing is that Daisy Ridley, she's like, you know, I'm done. I think I'm done with it. I think the fans, like, they kind of burned her out on the whole Star Wars experience. So, uh yeah, I don't know. I'm just so bummed. That movie could have been the game changer for Star Wars, and yet it's one of the most hated films I think I've ever watched now. It's bad. Yeah, it's a bummer. I, I re- Dude, the fucking Rise of Skywalker is a fucking joke. <laughs> the Palpatine thing? Who the fuck wants to imagine that guy boning somebody? Anyway. It's true. Yeah, that, that popped up, and I just had to bring it. Are you good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of other things that are bad. Check this out. Hey everyone, Benji Bob Davis here. My cousin 
Benji asked me to take over tonight for the War <laughs> Mansion because we got two films here from the South. We got Night the Rumpus playing right now on the Warped Dimension, Mr. Holehead's Warped Dimension. Every- yeah. Benji, let me explain something to you. <laughs> You're welcome to come on this show at any time. Benji, we can, we can do whatever you want to. We have a good relationship, Benji. But if I ever hear you do this Southern accent again, <laughs> I'm going to come to your home and slit your throat. <laughs> Keep it going. Don't do it. Benji, what are you doing? Let me explain something about the accents. If you're going to do a southern accent, pick an area that you want to do. You're clearly trying to do a Joe Bob Briggs thing. That's fine. Stick with the Texas thing. You, and and the reason why I want to bring up Benji's accent is, honestly, I'm I'm taking the piss out here. It's fine. It's whatever. Because (laughs) I watched a film later um, that we're going to talk about later in the episode where uh, and Randy has a much stronger opinion uh, to Robert Pattinson's performance oh, okay. in The Devil All the Time. I think now his accent when he's preaching, Randy, you're right. I've never heard anything like it. <laughs> he, he covers at least four different areas yeah. uh, that are just so that movie takes place in like the Rust Belt. So we're in Ohio. But this guy's supposed to be, I think, from Tennessee, I think, maybe, is what I heard. Because they even had dial. I, I read an article. Randy, did you send me that article? No, what you're talking about how he, like, refused to have a dialogue coach? Yeah, but I, I saw oh. an article where a dialogue coach, they, um, a dialogue coach watched his performance and said, <laughs> can you please distinguish what accent he's supposed to be doing in this? <laughs> and the dialogue coach basically said 85% he's solid. Huh. And I would agree with that because he goes and when he starts preaching and he's, his, his um, energy is amplified, then he turns into a Cajun man. <laughs> and it's insane. So now, okay, for context, um, somebody who's never left the Bay Area in their life like me. Yeah. What the fuck? You mean all the um, southern drawls down there don't just talk the same? Of course we don't. Okay. There are there are at least three or four different types of accents just in Mississippi. You understand? No. <laughs> in what way? It's all it's all dependent on on cadence and also the pronunciation of words. So, like my father spoke different than I do. My okay. father he grew up in a very small community of like there was literally fifty people in the hometown he grew up in, and so he he has a much more uh, for lack of a better term, countryfied way of speaking. Now, are we talking Boom Howard? Um, it, it, like when he says, how would you say the word E-G-G? Egg? Egg. Right, Randy, we can agree on that? Egg? Yep. He says egg. Oh. I Weird. feel like I vacillate between the two, actually. And then L-E-G is leg. Hold on, let me Google vacillate really quick. <laughs> <laughs> And we can. You want me to pull a clip of Robert Pattinson? I could do that later. I'm, you, you speak. Uh, you piqued my curiosity. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. But uh, yeah, Benji, stay in your lane. Also, for doing like a, a Tim Dillon rant <laughs> about somebody, I think you got to put the pedal all the way to the floor. You were clearly uncomfortable there. Yeah, because you didn't help. Oh, you. Oh, I did. I thought it was a you thing. No, you ruined it. Should was I? Should I clap or Karen. be a hype man? 
you would be the worst I know. hype man <laughs> I of really, all I really time. would. I really would. I, I, you're just a good person. I, I thought um, you were confused and you thought Benji listened to our show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never hear this. Okay, what the fuck are we talking about next? Who knows? Oh, yeah. We got a BBC controversy. Okay, it's you, not uh, BBC. It's not? It's BritBox. Oh, it's BritBox. It's BritBox. So they're going full cuties Netflix thing right here. So, yeah, so... Uh, Apparently, and I, I'm not sure, but uh, so Spitting Image used to be an older show uh, I, that may have been on BBC. Um, so I, I know I understand your appeal. Now. Zombie King could certainly uh, uh, correct us on that end. But uh, so Spitting Image um, is an older show, older British show involving puppets that uh, would do you know, pop culture and political uh, things. And so they, they're bringing that back through BritBox. Uh, so BritBox released a trailer, a nearly three minute trailer about this and uh, it's mostly trump and boris johnson and the controversy is a scene that takes place in a steam room uh where we see boris johnson and uh donald trump shirtless and then uh putin walks in and then beats <laughs> them up with his giant giant penis <laughs> and uh slap and then grabs their tiny tiny penises and twists them around and they're fighting naked in this sauna uh, so, uh, Breadbox has gotten a lot of uh, negative flack for this, which I think will help the show. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. Put so, it on my radar. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting that people were flipping out about naked puppets. Here, I, I so actually... Russ, uh, Russ was able to uh, procure a small clip. Yeah, I queued up a little bit of our Eastern Promises uh, yeah. puppets right here. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about some dumb TV show, Boris. I mean, how are they going to make us look stupid? Call me done. This is private steam room. Get out, you fat bums. <laughs> He's grabbing their nipples and their penises. Slapped his penis on their penis. There's something funny about these people. Yeah, I've never heard of this show. Uh, it's so Nor have I. It's. It, I love pop culture satire. Also, uh, just to paint the picture, Bojo and Trump are horrific monsters in here i mean trump looks scary (laughs) obese giant the puppets have this little thing where like their hair will pop off and spin around in the air and land like the puppeteering is incredible yeah and they're clear to like zero symmetry on either one of these oh no no it looks like um political cartoons that you would read in the newspaper back when those things were still getting made and then in comes putin who looks like a fucking uh, miniature dog with a dog collar on it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's as funny as I don't, maybe, maybe it's a UK thing. I don't think it's terribly funny, but I would love to watch just the discourse. I believe they got Kanye in front of the Senate yeah. in one clip and he's like throwing out money. And I don't know. Kind of reminds me of crank yankers without, uh, that's yeah, that's it's much better puppets than crank yankers. Yeah. Though. Yeah, like that's the one thing I would, visually it is much better. Yeah. And then um when does that come out? I think I think in October. Okay, let me know. I'd I'd watch it with well, you. I'm I'm not on, I'm not on Birdbox anymore. Oh, you well, you canceled it I've because of the show. N- no. <laughs> Are people calling for it to be canceled like cuties like Oh, I don't think I don't think we're at the cuties level. Okay. Because I'm like, why would people be mad? I thought everybody like hates Bojo over there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's uh, we got to find something to be angry at. Yeah, I mean, so I, naked puppets, you're up. 
unless you're like a fucking in like frantic Trump supporter, you might vote for him and still not even enjoy the dude. So like I yeah, I, I don't know why people would be horrified by these uh, interpretations. Um, again, uh, you, pu- you put me on to something else this week that I, I should have sat down and watched the whole thing. I know what I told you. And I don't, you know, I, where do they even advertise script readings? So I think that, so from what I understand, uh, this was done for two separate charities, one of which is run by Sean Penn. So he sort of put this together. However, uh, Dane Cook sort of moderated it all. He sort of headed it up, which was sort of odd. So he introduced the entire cast, and this was a star-studded cast to do a script reading of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Now, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a very seminal film for a lot of people. When you hear that title, does that do anything for you, Russ? Um, it's I, we're, like a generation, we're a generation, at least one generation removed from yeah. this, right? Yeah, it, it, introduced me, it introduced me to the cars, though. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. Randy, have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, I saw it. Like, not incredibly young, but I saw it growing up. Yeah, I saw it in high school, and I don't think that it's... I've thought about it since. Actually, Fast Times is one of those movies that kind of solidified me as a horror fan. Because, you know, all I would do is play basketball all day, or we would play baseball or football, depending on what sports season. Yeah. And um, when I was... I think I hurt my knee at one point and I got really into film and I was buying shit from Suncoast and people would always come over and be like, Oh, you got to watch the Godfather. And I'd be like, yeah, it was okay. Or they'd be like, Oh, you got to watch fast time. I love that movie. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm having a hard time getting through it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I'd learned that horror movies were the only ones that did it for me. Not a fan of fast times. So fast times of rich run high. They've got Morgan Freeman reading the script. So he is the narrator. Uh, then you've got the rest of the cast. I'm going to try to, here. Right off the top of my head, you've got Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, Julia Roberts, Henry Golding, uh, Ray Liotta, Sean Penn, mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey, yep. and Shia LaBeouf. And? Shia LaBeouf. And um, John Legend with the cameo. And John Legend. With, of course, Chrissy Teigen had to show up there. The um, I'll just uh, go on the record and say I am not a fan of them. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me set up. I, so I pulled a clip because I think, um, I mean, clearly like a million people have seen this thing. But with all that star power, you would think it would be more appealing. And this is clearly like a modern type of content. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, Shia LaBeouf is the fucking maniac. So I got a clip here of uh, we got Morgan Freeman. He's going to pop in narrating. Ray Liotta's playing the teacher. Mr. And, Hand. And we got uh, Shia LaBeouf as um, Spicoli. And uh, here we go. I'm going to register for this class here. What class? This class is U.S. History. It's the globe right there. It's planet history. It's a space class. Really? Yeah, I'm in this class. Can I enter the space? I mean, can I, uh, can I be, I'm in this class. No, 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 please, please. I get so lonely when the third attendance bell rings and I don't see all my kids here. <laughs> as a comedy class? Yeah, I mean, it's confusing for me as well because there's all these changes. There's a When they went from the A block Mr. to Spicoli? A B blocks and they Mr. split it, then it became two separate schedules. Mr. Spicoli! Yeah. 
Yes. Mr. Hand slowly tears the card into little pieces and sprinkles the pieces over his wastebasket. Spicoli watches in disbelief. His hands are frozen in the process of removing his backpack. You wrote my cards up. <laughs> yes. Mm. Got nothing to say? You're a, you're a big dick. <laughs> So to, to, to paint a better picture of what we're seeing here. So everyone there uh, looks a little disheveled. Uh, you said Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt looks rough. Well, it's a Zoom meeting. It's a Zoom yeah. meeting. Like everyone, except for Chrissy Teigen, who shows up dressed to the nines. Uh, she can only show up for a brief time because, as we all know, she eats children off camera. <laughs> um, so everyone there, is, they, they're reading the script. It's a, it's a, it's a script reading. Shia LaBeouf is the only one he he has his whole part memorized completely committed it's I mean and he's in character the entire time even in the intro and he's making everyone uncomfortable and he is in uh, his car which is a single cab truck of some kind <laughs> parked in his garage and he's smoking he's got earbuds in he's going in and out of the car the whole time he's just in the zone and it's great. So I highly recommend that you watch the supercut, which is about 14 minutes long of yeah. just all the Shia LaBeouf scenes. Um, and he's great. And you can tell, like, there's a real charisma there because he's the only one who, when he's reading lines, everybody's paying attention. They're reacting. Like, it's, you know, it turns into his show. And then when he pulls out a fucking blunt, and it's just like, dude. Also, I now, again... I think it's pretty clear we're not huge uh, Ridgemont fans. And uh, yeah. w he, was he ad-libbing or was that? Yeah, because I actually went back and, and uh, so there's cuts of only the Spicoli scenes and Fast Times. He's going off the script. So the space class thing. I think that's all him. Dude, that was great. It's hilarious. It's better than the movie. Yeah. <laughs> space class. Dude, it's. Uh, and the A block thing. Now, I don't. Dude, that was great, too. And, um. I, I got to give credit. Ray Liotta was a pretty good uh, teacher. He could have been, uh, what's his name from, uh, you know, the mess with the bull, give him the horns. Who the fuck's that oh, guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah. No, he, I thought Ray Liotta did great. But Ray Liotta, you could tell he did not want to be there. No, and you could tell Brad Pitt is actually 80 years old. And you could tell that <laughs> he's uh, a vampire. Despite being in a million movies, nobody knows how to light their own fucking face. Sure, <laughs> <It's laughs> everybody looked old. Jimmy Kimmel's doing all the background characters. Yeah, it was. I don't know. It, it was definitely um, entertaining. Yeah, Morgan Freeman's great. And also, fuck them. Everybody's in their fucking mansion. It's like here, let me set set up in the foyer. So, that, except and, for Shia. Except for Shia, who's yeah, I love it. It's in, great. In a dump, <laughs> in, a, in a fucking uh, unlocked pickup truck. I know, it's great. All right. All right. So check that out. Uh, did we do it? We get through uh, oh, the, the intro, the intro. The morning radio segment. Sure. I should have bumper music. Sure. Like, <laughs> morning radio with right. Clark Little. That's what the Randy stat up there, <laughs> the checking the traffic. Randy's up there in the chopper. Yes, sir. That's me up here in the chopper. <laughs> Randy, what's uh, what's the uh, what's what's eight eighty look like right now, Randy? Uh, you know, eight eighty is always pretty bad, and it's uh, looking the same right now. <laughs> Dude, Randy, you win. You suggest any alternative routes for anyone uh, heading up north for the weekend? Um, yeah, you could take uh five eighty, cut over to the five eighty, and then um, 
yeah, take uh, go up to the 80 from there, up to Sacramento. Sounds good. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> Anytime. Right. Bring it back down for Nilo with a health report. <laughs> All right. Sick reference. <laughs> all right, so Randy, uh, we've all been uh, anxiously awaiting uh, for you to give us another Frederick Wiseman documentary report. And this one, uh, from what I understand, is four hours and 32 minutes long. That is correct. Um, it's called City Hall. Like you said, it's Frederick Wiseman's new documentary. Uh, it is playing at New York Film Festival, which has some drive-in screenings, but also is doing a lot of uh, virtual screenings, which have been going very well, um, considering I had a Fantastic Fest screening this weekend that glitched out about five times while watching it. Oh, really? Yeah. I lost like multiple minutes of the movie. Um, <laughs> now yeah. you got to rewatch it. I wasn't that into the movie anyways, but uh, that essentially just made me like give up. But what I didn't give up on is four and a half hours of Frederick Wiseman uh, and his exploration of the Boston City Hall. Uh, so the film follows uh, Marty Walsh, who is the mayor of Boston and just covers all the things that uh, he is doing for the city um, and, you know, all the things that City Hall covers and everything that uh, the mayor, you know, is working on and uh, sort of covering. So, you know, it goes into anything from like housing to like businesses, um, stuff about climate. Uh, he wants to be like very proactive about climate after seeing, you know, uh, lots of things happen to, you know, New Orleans and uh -huh. Florida and other places uh, very recently. So he's uh, very serious about, you know, climate change and stuff like that. Uh, then you also see 89. him. <laughs> <laughs> like why? Because there's money there. There's a lot of He's 89. Yeah, no, but, we're talking about the movie which follows the mayor of Boston. Oh. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Clark was on his phone. That doesn't mean. <laughs> so this is what the mayor is doing in the city. Gotcha. Oh, and, wait. What, um, city? what city? Boston. Oh, Boston Mass. Yes. Yeah, kid. <laughs> Never been. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Benji. Thank you, Randy from the Warp Dimension. Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I uh, from hearing things about Boston, it sounds like it is a city with a semi-racist slash dark past. And uh, Marty Walsh really yeah. comes off as a guy who is trying to turn things around in the city. He grew up there, and uh, he was really trying to do a lot to kind of combat, you know, the history of Boston and kind of uh, make it a more progressive city and have like job pipelines for those that are less fortunate and don't usually get into certain jobs. And uh, yeah, I was really kind of surprised by um, just the way that Boston is being run um, by Marty, uh, Mr. Walsh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's four and a half hours long and I never really got bored. Everything was very interesting. Um, there's a pretty long segment towards the end um, of a new marijuana dispensary that is coming into town. And they're coming into one of the, like, rougher neighborhoods of Boston. So they organize a meeting with, you know, members of the community. And um, I think I think there was two, like, two of the owners were Asian. 
Uh, and then there was another like white guy. Um, and they were saying like, hey, we really want to come in here and like, uh, you know, not only give you guys jobs, but offer you like career paths to, you know, either growing or making edibles or whatever. Um, and, you know, some of the members of the audience were cool with that and thought that like, you know, what they were doing um, would help the community. But there's also some backlash from people saying like, hey, we know that like, you know, people come into cities sometimes and say that they're going to do all this stuff. But like, we need like a commitment and for you guys to actually show it. Um, yeah. And the whole, the whole conversation was just very interesting. Um, so yeah, if, uh, I talked about Monrovia, Indiana last week, and if that movie is about exploring sort of small town America, uh, this is a movie that explores, yeah, you know, one of the, the biggest cities in America and it's super interesting. Damn. You know, that's something I think about a lot too, because, you know, we're, we're in the hyper partisan era of um, American politics and a lot of it's turning geographical and we look at people fleeing California and just, you know, how when you look at the coastal states and they're, they're blue and then inland's red and really it turns into um, identity. Like Water's it's, blue, bro, like of it, course. Well, it's actually green. It's a reflection of the sky that makes it blue. No, I'm colorblind. Oh, don't, uh, <laughs> and you arguing with me is in direct violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I'm so sorry. Continue. I, I'm sure I'll be canceled. I won't yes, be here will. next week. <laughs> don't know why I'm talking about hands so much. Now, the thing is, you know, it's important that we have an identity and we can all be, you know, at least um, aware that we're all American you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing we share when we live in uh, these within these borders. Yeah. But, you know, the political discourse really comes down to when you live with a lot of people, like in a city, you tend to want more laws because you just interact with individuals all the time. And you have a lot more just discourse in general. But yet when you live inland and you, you have 100 acres and a barn, you want more freedoms because you don't need a bunch of laws or regulations telling you where an outlet needs to be in relation to a doorknob. And, you know, a lot of the broader politics just it, it gets blended up in there. And then we have, you know, all the, the puppeteers up top just kind of playing off what we want. And Randy, if, if you do, they do a good job of like kind of dipping into that, like how different a a person with a ranch and a hundred acres is than like somebody living above a weed dispensary. Uh, yeah. I mean like most of his documentaries, they give him like full access to pretty much cover whatever he wants. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he visits some citizens and stuff that are just in, uh, there's like one guy who's in this house that is like just getting annihilated by rats essentially. Oh, um, and then, yeah. So, I mean, it, it covers a, a wide spectrum of, uh, people and it was very eye-opening to see how diverse Boston actually is. I mean, you know, it's a it's a huge American city, so you know a lot of people from a lot of places come there. Um, but it was really interesting to see um, how much he actually cared about the diversity and how he thinks, um, you know, as a city and as a country, um, they can be sort of like a beacon to say that like, hey, we're the best when we all like kind of can get together and, you know, discuss things and um, celebrate the diversity. Now, Randy, let me ask you this. Were all the rats commentary (laughs) on uh, the politics of City Hall and (laughs) a la The End of the Departed? I mean, you could read read that into it if you want to, you know? It's just like, 
criticism if you want, but um, I don't know. The guy didn't seem that angry about the government or anything, so now, I'm going to say no. Is, is Wiseman ever on camera? No, you never hear him. You never see him, so. No, he does make an appearance in Sin City. <laughs> he's, the, he's the yellow bastard. <laughs> No, but yeah. he's a fly on the wall. That's what he's all about. I love it. Direct cinema. When's uh when's Morgan Spurlock gonna take a <laughs> when's Michael Moore gonna take a hit <laughs> My dad worked for General Motors. All right. Fucking piece of garbage. You got another one, Randy? Uh yeah, another one I watched last night, part of New York Film Festival. Uh is Chloe Zhao's new film called Nomadland, uh featuring Francis McDormand. Um, and her character, uh, so the movie is kind of like a character study, um, and her character, um, came from the city of Empire, Nevada, um, and Empire, Nevada was like a real place, and it was a mining town, uh, that essentially, like, the mining, um, company shut down, and they essentially told citizens that they had to leave, um, they completely got rid of the area code. Um, so yeah, it's a, a city that pretty much doesn't exist and they essentially just told people they had to find somewhere else to go. What the fuck? Yeah. And so, uh, Frances McDormand's character, um, she is also a widow. Her husband worked for the mining company and since then she's been living out of like a cargo van, uh, which she's built some like shelves and like a loft. Uh, so she eats in there, sleeps in there, everything. Uh, pretty much, and you see her kind of going from place to place, uh, getting like odd jobs and finding places that will allow her to sleep in their parking lots. Um, and she has a friend that she meets um, who is going off to live in this nomad community, which is a bunch of people like her, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of money um, and lives out of vans, some people by choice. Um, it seemed like most of them were by choice and it was kind of about like, connecting to nature um, a little more and kind of, you know, living off the grid and that type of stuff. Um, so she goes to this community and uh, yeah, the rest of the movie is kind of just this uh, road movie with very beautiful uh, vistas of the American West. Um, so very um, up Chloe Zhao's alley for, you know, what, what we've seen from her before. Um, and I was a little bit skeptical to see like, how her style would work with Frances McDormand or like a famous person in it. But she, uh, she almost disappears into the movie and she fits like right in with um, all the non-professional actors uh, in the movie. And yeah, I, I, I loved it. It's definitely going to be in like the top of my 2020. I don't want to say too much because I know uh, it's not actually out yet. And I know Clark's looking forward to it. So is, is Frances McDormand the only uh, name that we have in this cast? Um, so the only other one that I recognize is David Strayhorn. Who's oh, in, I like him. Yeah, he's in a, a ton of things, but um, yeah, I think he's the only, like, you know, big actor. Okay. Uh, yeah, Russ, are you familiar uh, with Chloe Zhao at all? I don't believe so. She made uh, her, this is her, is this her second film? Uh, Randy? I think this is her third. She third did film, one. That's right. Uh, Songs My Brother Taught Me. Yes. Which I had not seen. Uh, Russell, about three, I think, God, three years ago now, um, we saw the writer at the uh, San Francisco International Film Festival, uh, which was a, a great film. Uh, we, we, we've talked about it on the show. Um, 
where it involves a, a real life cowboy. Um, and she does a, a, a fictional. I remember you guys talking adaptation about Adaptation of, of yeah. his real life. And, um, it's, it's very, um, hot. <laughs> it's, it's very immersive because it's, it's a very, she shoots in a very natural real way. And she uses actual, um, there was no actors in, in, in that, right, Randy? It was all... Not that I remember. Yeah, it's very, no. uh, like, neorealist, but her, her camera and her cinematography is uh, just, like, very beautiful. It uh, kind of reminds me of, like, Terrence Malicky things. A lot of focus on nature and all that. Yeah, and she got a lot of attention from the writer. It's, it's an excellent film, and I'm glad that, um, you know, uh, I, I think that for, I think Francis Mordor would, would, would pair great. Uh, with this, well, now what kind of Francis are we getting? Are we getting the surly Francis? We getting the, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit um, amped up Francis? No, you get a uh, a pretty quiet Francis. Um, yeah. So there was a a Q and A with Chloe Zhao after the film, and they were kind of just talking about the character, and she described the character as a listener. Um, so there's you know just a lot of uh, to this program. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very subdued. Uh, performance. Um, I don't know. It's 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 really great. Um, you could definitely tell she's going through, uh, you know, a lot of emotions throughout the movie. Like I mentioned, she um, is widowed, and she's kind of the movie is kind of just about her trying to find out like what's next, sort of. Um, and yeah, it's it's good. She's great. What do I know her from? A lot of Wes Anderson movies, Fargo. Yeah, that's what it is. No, but I'm looking at him. She's married like, to Joel Cohen. She kind of looks like she could have birthed Steve-O. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was looking at her, like when I was looking through the, the stills from- um, They do have a similar jawline. Yeah. And Steve-O, he fucking snuck into my algorithm on YouTube, so I see his oh. dumb ass all the time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how, how the fuck do I know her? <laughs> Fargo. Also, before you guys give me uh, any crap for my ratings, oh, No Man no. Land got a five. Oh, what city Wait, hall I music to play <laughs> city hall got a four and a half and I have to issue, uh, issue a correction alone actually got a 3.5. I said three last week. Oh, d- damn. What's happening, dude? I think, um, you've been cycling the antidepressants long enough and now it's starting to work. <laughs> no, I don't a touch five the stuff. Star? <laughs> What's up? A five. Now see, here's what I think. I think. Randy, I think that we've, I think, I think we've done a negative here. I think that we've done you a disservice by calling you out on your rating system. Now I think that you're too, I think you're too lenient with your ratings. <laughs> no, I mean, Nomadland is extremely, extremely up my alley. It's a, a road movie. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm that nomadic, but I've spent many of uh, days and months and weeks uh, sleeping in vans and traveling cross country. So. It uh, it definitely definitely was for me, Randy. You're definitely not nomadic. You haven't left your bedroom <laughs> in six months. No, but I mean, I feel like I could have the tendency to do I so. Do that right? I just had to take the joke when it was there. You do um, travel across the country alone. I would say that's nomadic. Yeah, I've done a lot of uh, traveling for work by myself, and that's actually yeah. something I very much enjoy. But like Randy, if he, if if you had to go back to eight eighteen year old Randy. And go back to life out on the road. Would you do it? Um, probably not. No. I mean, yeah, the other 
the thing that is take, uh, take take the take the health crisis out of the situation. <laughs> take take the the COVID out there. I'm just saying, like now, you as a man in your 30s, could you go back out there? Maybe for a short amount of time. I could maybe do like two to three weeks of tour or something, but any more than that, I would probably get over it. I know you're an excellent packer. <laughs> yeah, I pack very light. And, uh, and do, you you, do, do you do the roll? Do you roll your clothes? Oh, yeah. You got to do the roll. You got to do the roll. Roll's the only way. Or else your thoughts? I don't do it. You fold? Are you? Are what does Oksana do? Is uh, that a better? Well, question? Oksana will uh, fold the clothing and then put it in one of those vacuum seal bags. Really? Yeah, to maximize. Oh yeah, that's next level. Yeah, and also I don't. I do not burn meundies. Uh, proud sponsor of the show, <laughs> <laughs> like Randy does in a ritualistic uh, poop burning on every trip. I gotta get new underwear, man. <laughs> <laughs> My my go to under Randy, they don't make my go to underwear anymore, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> they went under. No, I used to get my <laughs> underwear. underwear. I used to get my underwear from that. Uh, what's the name of that store that uh, I can't pronounce right? Uniqlo. Is oh, Uniqlo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I get my. I used to get my underwear from there, but they don't make the type anymore, and I don't know what. To what do. type was it? It's I I I cannot wear boxer briefs. Why? I don't like briefs. I don't like boxer briefs. I like straight knit boxers. Oh, God. That is the only underwear I'm comfortable with. I've worn boxers since I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I can't wear underwear. I can't wear tidy whities whitey tidies, and I can't wear <laughs> boxer briefs. I hate boxer briefs. Okay. I got to be free down there, baby. And I like cotton, and they don't make them. Look on the fucking internet. I'm sure you can find them. I'm just wearing old ass <laughs> underwear for the time thing. I thought you were just going to be free balling. What about Tom Petty over here? No. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about a movie that I did not like, and I'm not going to spend <laughs> a whole lot of time on it. This... I'm glad you didn't make me watch it with you when it came up on the feed. So, Randy, just to give you a full disclosure on how I was able to watch this film. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week, we talked to all of you about uh, the 2020 film, very controversial film, Cuties. So when you, when you go into Netflix and you go to the search uh, application there, you type in C-U-T, Cuties popped up. Right next to Cuties was a film called Cut Bank from 2014. I was like, what is this? So we, <laughs> we clicked on it because it's got, uh, it's actually got uh, Miley Cyrus's ex husband, Liam Hemsworth. Okay. I was like, you're going to be able to pull the name? <laughs> uh, along, uh, who was all else in the poster? Was it Malkovich or Billy Bob yeah. or, or uh, Bruce Dern? Oh, they're all in the film. And so we watched the first three minutes of the movie. And then I was like, all right, y'all guys don't have to watch it because I know you wouldn't be into it, but I'm like, I'm into this. No, I hated it. And um, so essentially, a young man's life is unraveled after witnessing a murder that he filmed in the rural town of Cutbank, Montana. Uh, That young man is Liam Hensworth. Him and his girlfriend are out in a cornfield, I believe, and uh, they are making a video for some reason. And in the background of said video, uh, we see a mailman played by Bruce Dern uh, who is shot dead. Oh, I'm into that. And so they they catch that on video. 
on the doorbell so, cam. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then they uh, show Billy Bob Thornton, who plays the father uh, to this, uh, to Liam Hensworth girlfriend, uh, big business, Bob, whatever his name is, big Bob man. I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I got to call the sheriff. The sheriff is played by John Malkovich. John Malkovich comes over. It's this very small town. He's like, yes, this is the town's first murder. So he goes to the bathroom, throws up. He's very nervous. He doesn't know what to do. This, he's a sheriff in a small town. He doesn't deal, deal with real crime. Okay. He deals with stolen apples at the market. That's what he does. So when someone dies, and not only someone, but the beloved postman, the beloved very old Bruce Dern <laughs> dies. Bruce Dern's great in this, by the way. Bruce Dern's doing Bruce Dern. Um, well, as we learn, Liam Hemsworth is in on the scam. And that Bruce Dern... Was, Are you ruining the movie right yes, now? Yes, I'm ruining the movie. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> Bruce Dern was not shut. They staged the whole thing because they were going to take that money. The problem with this is that... And this is where the film goes bananas, okay? So, obviously, the whole thing's a scam. Uh, and Bruce Dern's hiding away in one of Billy Bob's... Uh, he... Billy Bob owns like junkyards and stuff. So he's in one of his little offices offsite where Liam Hensworth has got him hiding out. The issue is that to perpetuate this entire scam, they had to steal a mail truck on that. Not mail a female truck, truck on that mail. <laughs> yes. On that mail truck, uh, was a package, a parcel, very important word in this film, p -p 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 parcel. Uh, Michael Stuhlberg plays a character that I have not seen him play before. And Michael's, I love Michael Stuhlberg. Michael Stuhlberg is a great actor. Sure, I have a hard time pronouncing his last name, but he's very talented. His character in this is, Gwen Stefani would describe it as B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> He's 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 clearly got the he's got the child molester glasses on and he's supposed to be the town weirdo, okay? Uh his p -p 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 parcel. He speaks with a uh, uh stutter. That's why I said p -p -p parcel cuz they I appreciated it. If there's a drinking game, you should play every oh, time he says p -p 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 why I just want my p -p -p parcel. So <laughs> he figures out who stole the mail truck. So he's on his own revenge thing. So in this original scam where only one person died, fake died, Stuhlbar goes off and actually kills people trying to get his p -p -p parcel. F I think 27 people die in this movie. Oh, damn. In this very small town. As we learn, and again, they don't fully explain. So Michael Stuhlbar, at the towards the end of the movie, um... The sheriff, played by uh, John Malkovich, goes into Michael Stuhlbarg's home and finds out where Michael Stuhlbarg has recreated this painting of like a Norman Rockwell 1950s uh, nuclear family. It's a, a very, very 50s kitchen. You've got the, the lady with her pearls and she's holding a purse. <laughs> and he has taken real life models and modeling that picture. And the final piece belonged in that mail truck, which was a handbag. Okay. And he needed that handbag. So he killed everyone at the town so he could get that handbag. It makes no sense because it is. And then they kill him in the end. Let me break it down. Movie's not good. It's in the pursuit of art. 
You can't compromise when you're going for it. More like the pursuit of fart. Also, I wish you would have said that uh, the ladies had their pearl necklaces on. I feel like that was a missed opportunity on your part. Or my ZZ top. Pearl necklace. They had a song called Pearl Necklace. Okay. (laughs) By the way, I didn't didn't know what that was until I was 27 years old. How'd you find out? Internet. (laughs) Somebody gave you (laughs) one? (laughs) I want a pearl necklace. Um, Yes. So cut bank. Uh, 2014 film, A24 film. (laughs) The forgotten A24 (laughs) Cut bank. All right. So let's talk about a movie that Randy and I are on opposite ends. And I understand it. I completely understand it. And I think this is going to open up for a great conversation. (laughs) Randy's coming in, but Randy is a a fan, a defender of one Antonio Campos. I've seen After School. I think that's the only one I've seen. And I liked After School. And so, uh, Randy, this was a big movie. This is uh, obviously... This is his biggest movie, I think that's easy to say. Not only from the standpoint of it being available on Netflix, but in terms of cast. uh, This is an adaptation of a novel. We'll get into that in here in a second. Um, And so this is a very big movie uh, from a a very uh, appreciated uh, director, but he has sort of a narrow fan base like a lot of people don't really know antonio campos's work as they should because i I think is a terrific filmmaker um and so randy what what were your you just feel like this does not feel like an antonio campos film it didn't really to me and the main issue i had with it is that i think there's potentially too many characters and it didn't give me a reason to care about any of the characters and it I don't know. They they felt like they were rather not deep uh, characterizations. And yeah, then, you know, bad things just happen to everybody. And it feels like there's no really, I don't know. There's nothing to like read into. Like in Simon Killer, uh, which I talked about a while ago, Brady Corbett's character is obviously like a sociopath, but you can kind of see him like making decisions and you could kind of like read into like the actions uh, that he is is doing the decisions that he's making, and I felt like I don't know this movie just didn't give me anything to like chew on really, besides like you know people dying. Well, I think so. I think a lot of that has to do with the adaptation part of this. Yeah, and so uh, this is actually, and also I need to make a redaction here. I've actually seen Christine. Of course, I forgot that he directed Christine. Yeah, which I love Christine. God, Randy, we saw that at uh, the now-defunct Kabuki. Oh, that's right. Which is an AMC now, or was an AMC. <laughs> I don't even know if AMC's a thing anymore. Anyway, so I think that, yeah, your issue... So I was... I watched this film because I was like, oh, Antonio Campos, okay. New, and then, you know, we've got these stars attached i'm like okay i i and i've heard a little bit of mixed things i'm like let's give it a go and the title do you ever have that thing where you think you've recognized something but it doesn't click do you know what i mean russ of like this title sounds familiar to me but i'm just not gonna give it any more cognitive thought of where i've heard this title that happens every day all the time yeah so the the title of this is the devil all the time Mm mm-hmm 
I saw the devil all the time. I've been fighting doing that the whole time. (laughs) So, when and then, Randy, I texted you. I think ten minutes into me watching this, and I said, "Was this from? Was this adapted from a novel? Because it feels like a book." And then you said, "Yes." And actually, the narrator is the author of the book. So then I go on IMDb, and then I feel like a big idiot because not only do I know this, I know the author. And then I knew the book, and I almost got the book. Uh, this guy was on uh, Fresh Air four years ago, and oh. I remember that interview because uh, I remember looking up this. Uh, I remember I started researching the novel, and then I almost bought it, and I don't remember why I didn't because because you don't read books. <laughs> That's an easy answer. Right <laughs> I there. read some books. When was the last time? Uh, bitch, we talked about a movie that I read that book two weeks ago. Thank you. You read the book two weeks yeah. ago? Yeah. Not audio. No, the, wow. the the Charlie Kaufman thing. I read that book, baby. What about the Charlie uh, Birdman book that he donated that's been sitting up there on the shelf? <laughs> the skeleton takes a bow. <laughs> How can I read that book? I'm five foot six. Oh, I'll bring you it put down. that on a shelf that's nine feet high. That, that's on me. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so once once I was able to understand where it was coming from and like, Oh, I know this. I'm familiar with this book. I, and now I have sort of this, uh, background to help me understand this story. Uh, that certainly helped me with the movie. Uh, because so th- this movie deal it look, this movie is, this is a story that I can wrap my head around. I enjoy backwoods dramas I in, now this deals more in Ohio and the Rust Belt, but still it's it's very similar to a, a Southern Gothic feeling. You, we definitely had that atmosphere. It definitely feels like a a dirty, pulpy, almost exploitative sort of film. It's oh, the whole thing's very grimy, and we're dealing with very bad people. But I like the <laughs> characters. I think that they do a great thing with preachers in this film, and 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 what we see. Look, there's a scene in this movie that I still think about today. I, I mean, I just saw the movie. I know, movie. okay. But I'm going. <laughs> it broke my heart. I think it was a brilliantly written scene, and it, it was a perfect setup for Rotten pa- Robert Pattinson's character. But it breaks my heart. It 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 really yeah. Let me take a guess. He's um home. It's late. No, he's sitting in a recliner. (laughs) He's got a TV on, and a commercial for a dog movie comes on. We don't see Robert Pattinson outside of this church. Oh, he's only inside the church, right, Randy? It's oh, he's only in the church. I I believe he's in a car. (laughs) Oh yes, that is good. Thank you so much. He is having uh, sex with underage women in cars. Oh, okay. Now, again, Anthony Campos, just for people like me who didn't Antonio. know. Antonio. Antonio. Okay, I'm sorry. Antony, yes. Ant, Ant Camp. Uh, I like Ant for, Camp. For those who don't know Ant Camp, um, I realized he did Simon Killer and After School. Two films, and Christine. Two films. Uh, the John Carpenter film? He remade nope. it? <laughs> anyway, he, he did a couple of movies that are very, uh, oh my God, Michael Haneke in tone. Is that fair? I haven't seen them, and I'm dying to. And I know when Randy covered both of those, I wrote it down on the notes I was taking that day, like I just did again. I'm, I'm going to come to this one late. So this film covers a lot of ground in two hours, and it was about two hours and 15, somewhere around in there, Randy? Sounds about right, yeah. 
we cover a lot of time. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, not Skarsgård, is what's his name? I think yeah, that's Skarsgård. him, right? Yeah, uh, it. He's yeah. great in this. He's you got fantastic. Billy Skarsgård. Bill, Bill Skarsgård's great. Um, he plays a character named Willard. Yeah, Willard. <laughs> you got rats in this movie we, too. We cover a lot of ground, and there's a little bit of time jumping here and there. Um, and it sort of feels like it's sort of Place Beyond the Pines in that way. Okay. To where it, there's an overall arcing storyline that we've got to get to. And it takes probably 50 minutes before Tom Holland even gets in the movie. And he's the technically the main character of the film. Not a fan. Um, and Robert Pattinson shows up. We'll, we'll get to him in a second. But with Preachers, I think that... So the first preacher that we see, it's uh, it's all these backwoods showmanship. What was the first preacher you saw? <laughs> Do you know? Robert Hanvey was probably the first preacher. Is that a big, uh, he doing like special effects and shit no, on stage? No, he was very, um, he was very devoted to the text. Oh, he okay. Was a very, he was a very learned man. And most of his sermons, no one understood what he was saying. Now, I, sorry for interrupting, but... You should check out that Martyr Made podcast. They go into Jim Jones and the shit he used to do trying yeah. to get like the South on his side. And he would put tubes up his arm of other people's blood so that he could do stigmata out of nowhere. <laughs> like it's fucking crazy. So we definitely deal with that that tent atmosphere yeah. here in the in so uh one of the main characters in the first act of the film, because we cover a lot of ground here. Um, he's a preacher, and his stunt is with spiders, saying that the Lord hailed him from oh. his fear of spiders. And it's the worst part of the film because we see a bunch of CG spiders all over. His the, face. Worst <laughs> <part>? <laughs> the worst part. That's the worst. That's the worst part. Yeah, the worst it's part. the worst part of the film because yeah. we see a lot of CG spiders everywhere, and it's, it's a little brutal. But wait, they're CG. They're I'm CG even spiders. more excited. But his character, you would think that he would be the skeevy guy. He is as in his character, actually, he doesn't act in the film, which is deplorable. But he's so devoted in his delusion yeah. that he thinks he's being genuine. And there's a little bit of endearment in that. And then you take the opposite of that, where you take a respected preacher uh, like uh, Robert Pattinson's character. And he is a deplorable. He's cold and calculated. He's a deplorable, deplorable human. And the, what he did with, with the poor grandmother's chicken livers, <laughs> I'm, I'm going, Randy, did that not deeply affect you? That hurt me so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the more effective scenes for me. <laughs> Randy, do you like chicken livers? I've never had them. You never had chicken livers? I'm not No. Rest of you had chicken liver? Yeah, my dad makes them a lot. Like, too much. You gotta fry them right. Yeah. Well, I'm, they're good, but every fucking... I'm like, I don't... It kind of freaks me out when you're eating the liver of they, another animal. Yeah, like, they can't taste like nickels. Well, I mean, you know, it's the filter of all the garbage they've been eating. It's true. Yeah. That's why in the movie, they're 11 cents a pound. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, <sighs> so, I found a clip... While you were talking, I looked up. I found a that's, Robert Pattinson accent clip. That's the liver. Do you want to play a little bit of it to get the? Yes. Yeah, so well, yeah. Let's let's give our listeners a little taste. All right. I'm. This is unvetted, so I. Uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin the chicken liver bit, though. Is that what this is right here? Yes. All right. Just tell me when to cut it, and okay. I and I will. Here we go. 
starting with silence. That's a good start to this clip. <laughs> okay, we'll go ahead and play it. All right. Yeah. So it's him in front of a... There we Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. We're all humble people gathered here. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> Y'all have been awful nice to me. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> but friends, poor soul, bringing them chicken livers and that beat up plate. Well, let's just say I'm inspired to preach on it for a minute. I'm going to cry. Eat. Do it on mic. <laughs> Some of us are better off than others. And I see plenty of white meat and red meat laid oh. out on this table. I'm back in. I enjoy it. And I suspect that the folks that carried them platters in eat mighty good sometimes. But poor people got to bring what they can afford. Got it. All right. It seems so brutal, man. You are tearing up. What the fuck is I got wrong sunglasses with you? <laughs> I can see it in the reflection. <laughs> I'm not tearing up. You are glossy-eyed. That's different. It, it, yeah. It's very sad. Because we've got the build-up. She goes to the butcher. She, she knows she's poor. And she even said that. She's like, what if he doesn't like it? And she, and then we've got the voiceover saying she's the best cook in the county. And she made those chicken livers. But he, here's the problem with the chicken livers. He loved the chicken livers. And he wanted them all to himself. But the way he packaged it, that's why it was brilliant how they portrayed it. Because you knew from this scene that this guy's a fucking asshole. All right. I like this movie a Okay, lot. I can tell. What are you, okay, uh. Your five-star Randy meter, where are we at? Look, no doubt. it's. Um, I completely understand Randy's perspective of it. And again, I just think that that's part of any time that you adapt a novel, and this is, a, this is not a short novel either. Yeah. Um, you're, it's, it's a tricky thing to do. Um, and also, uh, Randy, I, w- I wanted to mention this with you because I, w- I was going to uh, text it to you, but I thought I'd save it for the show, uh, that the scene where... Uh, Spider-Man goes and beats up uh, the bullies. He starts picking them off one by one. Oh, yeah. Clearly Scorsese. (laughs) Like, even, like, it had, like, a Scorsese type of song that he would play, Uh. like, 50s pop music, and we just see, you know, Spider-Man beating up people. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. Not my Spider-Man. He's... What's wrong with Tom Holland? I don't know. What, are you Toby Maguire? <laughs> Toby all the way, Andrew bro. Garfield. Yeah, I liked Andrew Garfield. What? You're the only person. And yeah. we share a birthday together. Oh, you and Andrew? Me and Andrew. All right. And Fred Durst. Love the art, and not Dime the back person. <laughs> and Dime back. Um, yeah, right. no, I, 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 I really enjoy the devil One to all five. the time. Where are we going? Uh, four. Oh, God. Are you the new Randy? You just went on a fucking 20-minute scree oozing over this book. Four solid. Four's a great score. Yeah, agreed. Four's a great score. Mm. Four is, I'll buy the DVD. If I, if I, you know what? With a second viewing, I could bump it up to four and a half. Oh, there we go. Would you watch it? I'm glad to see you play ball with the I, half. I would watch this today. I'd yeah, watch, I, it I watch it again. I, I really want to watch Simon Killer and After School. Um, Christine, I'm still, you know, us horror fans, we don't like to see our favorite movies remade, oh, so I'm not going to. Christine's rough, man. I'm not going to wade into that. But Campos knows how to, he knows how to navigate the icky. Oh, Aunt Cam. Yeah. So I think that that's what this was. I think that's what attracted him to the story. Because th- these, 
these are bad people. <laughs> and also, there's a serial killer narrative in here that we haven't even touched with Jason Clark and Riley Keel. Um, and then with the sheriff, it all ties together, and I, I bought it. I, I, I enjoyed this film. You got a, uh, a cuck situation with Jason Clark, too. Oh, oh yeah. A lot of cucks. <laughs> I don't even know what to do Jason, with Jason. Uh, Jason Clark, is a, he's a good dirtbag. He's got two first names. I don't like him. <laughs> it's true. And one of them's Clark. <laughs> all right. Devil all the time. Randy, do you have any closing thoughts on the uh, devil all the time? You going to give this a second chance now? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bummed that I didn't like it, but I, I don't seem to be the only one that didn't like it. It seems like people either really dig it or really just don't care for it. So I understand. And again, uh, adaptations are hard, man. Um, but I, I thought he did a good job with this, and I, I definitely want to read the book now because um, this is definitely – I like these type of stories, man. I like this. Um, and I, it's interesting to see you know, this story take place in the Rust Belt, uh, which I think is, gets neglected a lot of times. So um, you know, anytime that you, you – know, we're portraying simple people, simple people with complex lives, and uh, sign me up for that any day of the week. <laughs> Also, get that as a clip. Well, you want me to cut that? No, I don't. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, my turn? Yeah. All right. I have uh, three films today that I have a lot to talk about oh, God. and uh, no preparation. So here we go. We're going to do some uh, back of the bookstore uh, beat poetry. Oh, we shared one, didn't we? Uh, we did. I'm going to bring that up last. Now, um, RJ- <laughs> I always want to say R-J-E-L-E. RLJE Films sent us an early Blu-ray copy of Eli Roth's History of Horror. Now, uh, last night when I got home, I noticed that the Blu-ray was thrown about on the dining room table and the slipcover was removed, but none of the discs were taken out of it. So did you end up watching any of it, Clark? Or no, no, I did not. You I just was, wanted I to was... abuse the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I took it out of the slipcover, and then uh, I didn't put it back in, and I didn't take it You out backed out? Place. What what scared you away from it? Nothing scared me away. It's just uh, yesterday was a wash. <laughs> oh, okay. It was, it was life. Do you want to know why? What? Because Tulane University oh. went in and scored 65 on us. Yeah, I'd be bummed out too. 65 points. We're the worst team in the country right now. <laughs> so, RLJE <sighs> Films. Uh, Eli Ross' History of Horror. The only thing I've known about this is that my mom loved it, and she'd been recommending it to me for two months now. Um, anyway, on the back of the disc, it says, Award-winning horror director, writer, producer, and actor Eli Roth brings together the masters of horror. What awards has that bitch won? The storytellers and stars who define the genre to explore its biggest themes and reveal the inspirations and struggles behind its past and present. Each one-hour episode will take viewers on a chilling exploration of how horror has evolved throughout the years and examine the genre's impact on society as well as delving into how horror main maintains its fans and base oh god i can't read maintains its fan base and why audiences are addicted to fear interviewees include stephen king quentin tarantino linda blair rob zombie greg nicotero slash um david arquette tippy hedrin elijah wood the, the, now i didn't know what to expect because Eli, nigel bach <laughs> yeah we got a we got a nigel bach in here uh 
I didn't know what to expect because it's a documentary broken up over episodes that are, I get, you know, it's called the history of horror and it's Eli Roth's history of horror. So I was expecting almost a, um, he's going to navigate us through what he thinks was impactful. Yet Eli Roth is kind of just the narrator. So he shows up and in the first episode I watched, um, which they covered zombies. Now, I thought this was a good entry point because I think zombies are important as a uh, horror staple, and they've definitely taken on a new life uh, in modern time. Thanks, Brad Pitt. And um, yeah, they did use clips from that. And ultimately, what this what the show turns out to be is a uh, talking head VH1 style documentary where we I mean, it looks beautiful, but, you know, we'll get Edgar right. And he'll, you know, he's in an interesting frame and he'll talk a little bit and then cut to a clip. It's nostalgia fest with a lot of genre exploration that uh, most horror fans already know about. And I think back in the day, like in the 90s, this product would have been extremely valuable because the community wasn't as tight knit. But now with the Internet, you get this kind of um, conversation and discourse like readily. And like with um, online ordering, you can find books from all over the world that really dive deep into just one subgenre. And I mean, this was really just a flashy, pretty product, which I feel like I'm I'm kind of like poo-pooing. But dude, I'll, I'll, I sat there and I got very nostalgic. They uh, had um, Eli Roth was talking to like Rob Zombie. And uh, I can't remember. It might have been Greg Nicotero at a table in a kitchen. And it was very, it was very, it felt like it wanted to be internet content. Like I would have been more interested if it was like Eli Roth and I invite Tarantino over and we're just going to have a conversation. Instead, it's like little edited bits, you know, with clip show. Were there homies? Um, also, you. so Edgar Wright brought up the point that um, Resident Evil played a big part in reviving the uh, zombie genre. And I went, wow, like we're actually going to do a history of horror thing where we get a little away from the film. And they reeled that in really quick. Oh, really? They had a couple of scenes and he mentioned how in spaced that was a big part of um, his writing was just modern times. And he didn't want to like make fun of zombies with Shaun of the Dead. But he definitely wanted to update the storytelling. And a lot of that insight was really good, but it felt like it should have been on a Shaun of the Dead bonus disc. Not yeah. maybe not here. Um the Blu-ray looks beautiful. The slipcover is great. I am uh also uh, they have a third disc and it's all bonus features. And they do extended interviews. So I think what I'm kind of uh lamenting about you can find it there. Like they have extended interviews with Tarantino and Edgar Wright and Roger Corman and John Landis and Joe Dante is, uh, is the rotten fruit a part of the, uh, no bonus. And actually it's a really like tempered Eli Roth. I don't, I remember when he kind of first came on the scene and he was a big personality and I was kind of into him. Yeah. And then, uh, as he started to make like kind of B movies, like even with support from Tarantino and getting kind of like an a class treatment, he was still coming out with like the Green Inferno, which is far from perfect. It kind of makes me like him more. But on here, he's docile, dude. It feels like there's a lot of... Uh, did you see Knock Knock? I did. The um, what What is the thing about the pizza? You want to eat my pizza? I dude, we should watch that. It's um, it, that's, that's like a drive-in B movie. Randy, it's good. did you see Knock Knock? 
No, I've never seen it. It's Keanu, yeah. Yeah, it's Keanu. Yeah. Um, and the girl from Green Inferno. Anyway, on the bonus features, they also have like little vignettes that were completely cut. And they have things about like, is horror sexist or feminist? And they do like a two minute little thing and they kind of cover a, a broad topic that could be very nuanced and interesting and just kind of boil it down. I don't hate it. They're actually kind of interesting. One of them was how Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein influenced Tarantino. Hell yeah. And he just talks about like his experience watching that movie. And I'm like, is, is this docu-series format like dead? Because I feel like you could do it on YouTube, smaller budget, just get all the same people involved. And unless you're paying all these people like a lot of money, I think it would be a better product. So this is a shutter thing, correct? I believe it was. Wait, hold on. I have the press release. It was AMC, but is doesn't AMC own Shutter? Oh, I have no idea. Who owns Shutter? Yeah, it said it, ate, it aired on AMC Networks in 2018. I think Randy is AMC own Shutter. I think that's the thing. No idea. Yeah, I don't see it on here. Randy, are you eating? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Randy, I also heard you earlier. Were you hammering? Were, were you watching Patrick in the background? <laughs> No, that was drumming in the background. Oh, okay. Nice. Just hammering those skins back there. Randy, what are you eating? Literally like two-day-old french fries because I have nothing else that I could just grab for like two seconds. All right. I'll, I'll be quick, God, Randy. You're going to make me sad like the chicken livers. Order him something. Chicken livers? Yeah, send him some chicken livers on Grubhub or Randy some shit. Randy would not eat chicken <laughs> Um. Yeah, so History of Horror, I get why my mom loved it. It's very well-produced and good. It's just, you know, when, when you do a fucking A-plus podcast about horror movies and you spend eight hours a week in here talking about it, it's kind of like, mm, I would have I rather had the conversation with, like, Elijah Wood than heard him uh, talk to a faceless narrator. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's good, though. And uh, I love the Blu-ray. Um, LJE. Keep sending us stuff, and I'll keep R- talking about them. L-J-A. R-L-J. Oh, my My. Fuck. God. Okay, here. Yeah. A S W A N G. Ass Wang. Yeah. Oops. Wait a minute. Y'all watch this? So, you. Next off. up. You didn't want to fucking watch it. You didn't tell me y'all was going to watch it. I watched it last night at 12.30. It was, it was past midnight. It's fucked up. You want to know what's really fucked up? I think you would have liked it. Man, was this a one time? <laughs> was this a one time thing? I don't know. I don't think so. Anyway, uh, the next film. Uh, coming out this Friday, that I am very excited to have uh, given the um, I'm I'm <laughs> highly favored and widely blessed to have been able to watch twelve hour shift. You movie cut me, bro. Uh, Brie Grant directed and written, and uh, she was um, oh I can't remember his name. She was the understudy to uh, one of the forensic teams in Dexter. Yikes! What's his name? The bald uh, dude. I don't. It doesn't fucking matter. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? No, I'm I'm hung up on it now. This is why my brain doesn't work because I gotta fucking go to Google every fucking time, and now I'm scrolling through here. He. Oh my god. Is it weird that I added her to the sheet of guests to reach out to? Like, oh, two days ago. I think it's overstepping, but I, I don't think it's weird. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing? I couldn't oh. find it. I don't know. She was uh, Suka. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, she was an understudy for Suka. Nice. Uh, Dexter was a big part of my life and then completely gone. I don't, I don't even think about it anymore. Did you even watch the finale? 
I did. Yeah, your Twin Peaks. It was terrible. So bad. It was so bad. Anyway, uh, I was excited to watch Twelve Hour Shift um, because I fucking love Angela Bettis. She's I fucking she's a great actress. Uh, Discovered her in May. Loved her in The Woman. She's she's just she's all over the. uh, What was that? There was a Master of Horror, Love Sick. I believe she's with Misty Monday. They're a couple, dude. Uh, Lucky McGee. I, he's fucking. I love it. I've never seen. Oh my god. Sorry, I'm in frantic mode. Uh-huh. You know May. You know how Lucky McGee did the reverse, and he starred in a movie that she Jam? directed. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Thank you. Um, no, do you know about that? What the the movie that? Uh, so you know May. She starred as May. Yes. And in um. They did a reverse where Lucky McGee starred in a film that was pretty much the same plot, but she directed it. No. Oh, God. Let me pull that up. That's a movie that I've been looking for at Amoeba forever. Well, we'll talk to Lucky when we talk to him next week. Um, Roman. That's what it's called. Roman. Roman. Yeah. Roman. Roman. Ha. Keep Roman. 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 Anyway, Angela Bettis, fucking great in this movie. She plays kind of a uh, overworked lethargic nurse in a hospital and that's where most of our story takes place now if i would have known the plot i don't know if i would have watched it because it screams cool guy cinema which i've been trying to think of in my head like what i mean by cool guy i think what i mean by cool guy is it's directors and writers who watch a movie like um all of the films you love or all the posters randy has on his wall where we get like you know like uh like a Tarantino or who's another cool guy who did the Godfather Scorsese. Yeah. And it's well, like Coppola did the Godfather, but it, they don't understand storytelling. So they echo a lot of the imagery and the actions, but none of it's earned bullets are flying, but nobody cares because there's no depth here. That's usually what I mean by cool guy cinema free fire. That's your go-to cool. Yeah. Guy. Well, cars too. I don't like fucking muscle cars. I don't like guy know. Ritchie. Yeah. Yeah, Guy Ritchie. So this film, um, here, let me read the synopsis. Bodies start to pile up when a drug user nurse and her cousin trying to find a replacement kidney for an organ trafficker. Now, I'm going to do a light spoil here. The organ trafficker is Mick Foley. And my God, do I want to see him in more film? He's barely in the movie, but he makes a goddamn impact. And I'll tell you this movie. I'm so mad at you right Wait, now. Let's watch it. I'll, I'll, I'm down to watch it. Um, Angela plays the the drug addicted nurse who has uh, teamed up with a coworker to funnel organs out to McFoley. Love it. The problem arises when uh, she uh, enlists her not by blood cousin who is a uh, a blonde southern bumpkin. <laughs> And uh, she just royally fucks shit up. So this movie kind of spins out of control in a um, limited location because we're in the the hospital the whole time. But then you add in people like this guy who just killed a cop but got arrested, uh, played by David Arquette, who's handcuffed and sedated to a a gurney. I don't want to be sedated. Dude, this movie, I enjoyed the hell out of it. But uh, disclaimer, it's not perfect. There are moments that are a little weird. There's stuff that's a little wonky. There are jokes that don't work. But I, it's my life. I really, I realize <laughs> that I, you know, when when we hit that perfect cinema, and you can tell Criterion Doors breaking down everybody, uh, they're trying to get it out on their platform. I'm just not as interested. I'd much rather root for a 12-hour shift. Um, this again is coming out Friday, so when this airs, it'll 
you know, it'll be out tomorrow. Uh, I you highly... ever worked a 12 hour shift? Ooh, rough stuff. I don't think I have. And definitely not in a job that's that important. Like that's yeah, fair. And they really cover the spectrum. It's not only um, a craft where you're uh, dealing with, you know, organs and, and gore. There's a lot of gore in this movie, but it's again, used correctly. Um, but they also deal with the customer care and um, you know, my mom's in a coma and uh, please be understanding. Your mom's in, in coma. A coma. I know <laughs> she, that would mean she's dead. If she's in coma, <laughs> sure. she's in a coma. Yeah. 12 hour shift. Highly recommend it. Um, right. Let's right. reach out to Brie Grant. Good job, Randy. We'll, we'll trick her. <laughs> I mean, we tricked Fantasia. Is so. it Brie or Bray? Randy? I don't know. I thought it was Brea, but I'm not sure. Oh, it could be Brie. I think it's Brea. Yeah, I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. It usually doesn't work out. And then uh, we got the uh, creme de la creme. The best movie in 2020. <sighs> Tenet. <laughs> Randy, give us, give us a 30-second synopsis of Tenet. Uh, if you didn't understand Inception, which I didn't really either, and want something way more confusing that potentially makes even less sense, uh, go see Tenet. Now, you Did know, you enjoy it at all? Sort of. I probably would have enjoyed it more in an actual theater. I saw it at a drive-in. but Well, let's go. They're open. Tan Fran's open. That's the mall where Chuggy was dodging bullets like he was in the Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Chuggy's on isolation with us, too. So watch him stay painfully sober around a crumbling crew. Anyway, the final film that uh, we're here to talk about. Very uh, controversial film. We're sitting at, what, last I looked, 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Michael Jordan. What? It's a Michael Jordan. Yeah, number 23, oh, baby. I, I almost thought you meant his documentary only got a 23. Oh, no. I was like, Everyone, no way. I, uh, the 100. Never see. Yeah, okay, it's 100. Yeah, again, his Hacks. jersey number 23. Yes. Dude, growing up, I had so many friends who were like, my favorite number is 23. Yeah. It's like, it's like that's, that's not a number. No double digit should be a favorite number. It's Jim Carrey's favorite number. Oh. Was he a Jordan fan? The number 23. Oh, damn it. It's going right over my head today. Randy, you win. <laughs> All right. Do we want to spend a whole lot of time on this stinky stink fest? Um, I don't know. I feel like I got some interesting things to say about okay. it. What do you got? Successful still- author Veronica Henley finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Um. Don't know if we ever discovered the mind-bending mystery in Antebellum in its one hour and 45-minute runtime. The one thing that we did get was a great song that has been stuck in our heads for a week. Yep. Do you know the name? By The Normal, and it is Warm Leatherette. Warm Leatherette. Leatherette. That's Warm Leatherette. That's pretty much the song. And it's like eight minutes long, and uh, I play it all the fucking time at work. It's great. Yeah. Uh, what's not great is the rest of this movie that doesn't know what it wants to be. Uh, it's just a mess, man. Like, it's just trying to be shocking for shocking's sake. Okay, hold on. It's we we got to do, do a little bit better than that. Um, also, Grace Jones covered Warm Leatherette. I highly recommend you check that out. I haven't listened to her. So we're talking about Antebellum. Yes. Um, in our troubled times. 
we're we're headed towards another civil war. Shit is so bad right now. I don't need your civil war. The races are at each other's throats. <laughs> I don't. You know, honestly, I don't know. Yes, continue rush. I think. Uh, I think we need like old school commercials back because I really needed a tone for for. I I felt like I needed to be set up for the movie I'm coming into. Um, antebellum. Randy, did you didn't check this out, right? No, I saw a trailer for it finally, and it looked like it might be kind of cool, but I've also heard terrible things about it. Now, a horror movie set in the antebellum era, I feel like there's a ton of potential there. And I think there's a really good chance to draw a narrative of how when we have an outer, an external threat to, say, the human race, we put all our little dumb differences aside and we, we team up and win. Because the one thing is, you know, when we finally go to war with China and uh, 200 nukes are launched, the, the sad thing is the planet will probably be decimated, but humans will thrive. We maybe not thrive, but we'll, we're cockroaches and we're going to live on. And I, I really expected that from this film. Yet it comes hard being so self-aggrandizing. Did I say that word right? Self-aggrandizing. I'll give it to you. And... Um, we open up with like a 20 minute slow-mo of X all, will give it to you. Dude, it it's so like look at the horrors of slavery and it's like we get it. I mean, it's kind of all we hear about now. Except it's like unrelenting. And it's like okay, where are we going? And are, are we going to ruin this? I feel like what I want to say will Yes, change. because I feel like uh we owe it to our listeners to save $20. Okay. Um so off the bat, um Clark is not a fan. Where would you give it a 1 out of 5? One and a half. I think I'm in a three and a half now. I'm sorry, what? So we, we hated this movie. But you know what? Much like Lords of Salem, I've had a little uh, postmodernist take on it. Okay. Now, now here's the thing. So Antebellum, uh, it's, it's about an author. We uh, were back in time in the era of slavery, and we see a lot of terrible things happen. And then um, our lead, after what feels like a lesser version of the Nightingale, kind of like horror in a log cabin kind of shit. She goes to bed um, next to her master, which is just its a terrible thing to imagine. And uh, she wakes up in the modern era. And she's got a nuclear family. And she's successful. And she's actually like a political pundit now, and an Russell, author. I, I will say that this is given away in the trailer. Yeah. Oh, but, okay. But in watching the, the movie, you had no idea. You thought we were in the Civil War. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think, yeah, in the trailer, it gives it away. Right, Randy? I'm not crazy. Because in the trailer, they're out there in the fields, and then they see an airplane. Yeah. Correct. Which is the, the twist in the village. Yeah, yeah, right? There's just, they don't say anything in this movie. Now, here's, here's my problem. I think they actually do worse than that. I think this film portrays a um, strong black female lead who is an activist, almost as a maniac. They almost make her seem toxic to the current culture where she her character herself in the story is not. But the way that we're we package this whole this whole uh, deal, there's no depth to any of the villains, which um, are it's is every white character in this movie, except for her blonde friend, who seems more like kind of a uh, clueless, uh, unaware. Yeah. Like, like, there's a very strong anti-racism theme going on. And, I mean, 
all the shit, you know, I mean, I know I listen to a lot of politics and stuff, but when you listen to like James Lindsay or like the new discourse and you really like get it. Uh, currently, I'm reading White Fragility. This is where I'm at in my life. I want to know this stuff and I don't want to just I don't want to be on a team against it just because I feel like that's the right thing to do. And this film, I feel like this film is almost like race baiting. It's almost like, look at how terrible we are and how awful America is. And, you know, when this girl has everything, all her ducks in a row, there's a little girl who's going to show up in the elevator in a renaissance costume who looks far too dusty. And she's going to remind you that America hates you. And then you're going to wake up on a plantation for now. This this film does a good job of keeping us in her perspective. The abduction was ridiculous. It was kind of her fault, too. It was so stupid. The whole thing is stupid. <laughs> Who is going to get in the thing and not know that that's your Uber? Do you want to set it up a little <laughs> and bit? Then, like, it, and then, like, warm leatherette is well, blaring. Remember, there's, there's this weird narrative going on where our lead is a very articulate, strong woman. And she's black and she's an activist. And then she hooks up with Precious, who is just oh, yeah. kind of like every stereotype that people criticize Hollywood about. She's kind of like rude and verbose, but she's funny. And I don't hate her. She feels like an authentic person here. And she's sexually liberated. Yeah, she's, she's cool. I like her. And she's kind of the only, like, I don't know, aggress you get from this, like, hard narrative of racism in the film. She's, she's the only levity we have. And she's, she's a good fucking actress, too. And But one of the more awkward scenes in the movie where she's being hit on at the table. Oh yeah. That was, so it, what was that? So they're hanging out, they're having girls night and, um, our lead needs to fly back home. So she can't go to the club with them after, but they're going to have fun. They get a bottle of champagne, a dude over at the bar is checking her out and, and he orders a drink. So a drink comes over and, uh, he walks over to be like, Hey, uh, you know, I just bought you this thing. And um, he gets torn to shreds by Precious. She's like, what kind of fucking game is this? You see me out here with my friends. We're drinking a bottle. You order the Gabriel table. A, you, you order the table a bottle. You don't get me a drink. I don't drink this sugar shit. And she's just like shredding him. Yeah. And then she's like, but here's my phone. Because we're ladies. Yeah. And it's like this bit that doesn't really work, but it's clearly the most fun in this movie. Yeah. Because right after, they're like, we're going to the club, we're fucked up. And it, she's like, okay, my Uber's here. And uh, that's where we get this, like, I don't know, four-door. It was a, like an Escalade. It was yeah. some fancy car. And they're just blasting warm, leatherette, war. And it's like, it almost plays a, like, I felt like they were trying to do a bait and switch where it's almost like, oh, here's some loud hip-hop. She's getting in there. It's like a comfortable environment. But then you listen, and you're like, wait, no, no, no. This is that German racist shit. This is craft work or something. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, get out of the car. And uh, she's driving and she's yelling at the Uber driver. And uh, yeah, she's abducted. Clark, the very vigilant viewer here, also caught that the lead uh, Confederate douche was also a politician. Now, that was one of the more heavy handed notes in the film that they don't really touch on. No. I think you saw like there was like a propaganda poster. When, when we see the um, the party car with uh, Precious and the white girl. Yeah, we should set that up. When, when they go off, when they when our when the warm leatherette car <laughs> stays true and then the party car takes a right, we see this uh, scaling of a building that's got uh, uh, him. It's the name of the yeah, character. Yeah, it's very, like, Trumpian. Uh, which is played by Eric Lange, and, and we noticed that uh, he is actually a senator. 
and he is the main he is the proprietor of the antebellum um civil war reenactment community yeah that we then learn at the Which, end of the film that is knowledge we don't get until the very end of the movie also but they don't they don't say that he's they don't a, do anything yeah they don't say anything. There's, they don't. N- there's no explanation for any of this. So essentially, we're just to believe that rich white people have abducted black people in today's society to make them actual slaves yeah. while they reenact the Civil War. And by slaves, we're not talking like make build a Nike shoe. We're talking about get back out in the field and pick cotton. Yes. It was like, why? Why the fuck would we do this? And <sighs> so with the car scene. We should also mention that it's fucking hilarious because she's in the car. She's realizing she's like, wait, this is warm leatherette. That's a fucking this is a car wreck song. I need to get the fuck out of here. So she she turns to her window. I, I don't know if this actually happened, but I imagine it rolling up like she's trapped. And then she sees the other Uber pull up alongside and the girls in there are hitting on their driver. This, this nice Latino gentleman, yeah. I think. And they're just partying. They have the windows open and they're doing the thing where it's like they're hanging out going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And she's like, help, help. But she, they can't hear her because they're having such a good time in their actual Uber. Mom. And then they turn away and then we see the propaganda flag. Leather red. Now, originally I wanted to come on here and I just wanted to bitch about how this is part of the problem currently. I think all this race baiting. And I think you can make a dollar here. There's an audience who is looking to digest this kind of film. I just, I think it's a propaganda piece. Yeah. Then, you know, I was thinking about the anti-racism thing and it didn't really work because one of the big things about like the BLM group and the anti-racism movement is that, you know, they're, they're neo-Marxist and they're against the nuclear family. When a big part of this narrative is that she had the, uh, I'm air quoting now, American dream and she has a husband who's a dedicated and she has a beautiful daughter and they're very close. And part of the, the script reflects it where her friends are like, Hey, let's go out there. This guy's hot. You talking to the-? And she's like, no, I'm into my husband. He's the, the hottest dude I know. And they're just kind of like, Bleh. and it's like, well, that doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in with the current narrative. So here's, here's my take. Now the end of this film fucking jumps the shark so hard. Uh-huh. We literally get, uh, our lead actress riding a horse like she's fucking Paul Revere trying to save the nation. But it's through a civil war reenactment. There's cannons firing, like literally in slow-mo, slow motion. And, and it's this beautiful kind of propaganda piece of like um, new America. You know what I mean? Like we will tear down systemic racism and this is how we're going to do it. And we need to wake up and realize we're on a, we're a fucking cotton plantation. Burn it all. Is the message I got there. Now, when I, when I was reflecting and I took these like fucking three pages of notes, I realized I was wrong. And I, um, I thought back to James Lindsay on Joe Rogan talking about Black Panther. And he was like, you know, I think, I think they snuck in Martin Luther King's ideal here. Like, it's not really, it's not really the Malcolm X movie that people think it is. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know what? This, this is a horror movie. It's a girl trapped in um, the current, climate of politics it's almost like she's drinking her own kool-aid like she's clearly made a um successful career out of showing up on cnn and calling everybody in the room a uh, racist except i feel like the jumping off point in this movie is she's starting to have nightmares about it and she's starting to really buy into her own narrative so she's doing speeches and shit but she's she's lost it so i think if you repackage this film as a um 
psychotic break, it works. I think it kind of works. Now, the script is trash. I agree. And I also agree that Lords of Salem is not a great movie. But when I listen to the, the director's comment, and I know I've talked about this on here maybe two years ago, the commentary track, and you hear about how he wanted to make it real surrealist. And, you know, it opens up with um, his wife in the backseat of a car looking out a window, like I always talk about in indie film. It's like that movie's about falling off the wagon. It's about a girl starting to do heroin again. And when you watch Lords of Salem with that in mind, it's a different movie. The stupid ghost standing behind her in the kitchen makes sense because it's addiction looming. You know what I mean? It's right there. Where in this film, I think it really is a more powerful statement when you can't separate the fucking political outrage from your day-to-day life. It, it, it will separate you from your family. It severs ties with friends and uh, it can get in the way of your career. And I, you know, haven't, I've only seen this movie one time, so I'm sure there are like holes in my theory, but I think narratively I can, I could, I could swallow that film. I mean, the thing, the thing we're not talking about here is the duel she has at the end of the movie with uh, the lead racist uh, blonde woman who plays her. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, Jenna uh, Malone. Jenna Malone, who is uh, blonde in this film. and She's the, from uh, the Neon Demo. Yeah, she's the queen of racist here. And uh, I believe she gets dragged uh, by a noose uh, from a horse. Yeah. So, I mean, we're literally doing the things that like got uh, YouTubers canceled for playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Just when you recontextualize it, it's okay. I d- dude, you know, in the interview... I don't, I'm not sure. Oh, here's a disclaimer. Our interview had a terrible internet connection. That's going to be addressed. We're, we're going to edit it through and it will be fine. But um, our guests, they mention how horror films, what they do is they, they do a good job of making the villains um, somebody you can potentially root for or maybe feel conflicted about because there's depth there. In this movie, we get nothing. We get absolutely nothing. Not a, not even a speck of motive. No. Yeah, I I I mean, if there was even a scene, dude, what was that terrible um, VHS short film I have, the Family Museum or something? Oh, uh, oh, god, it's got um, Chris Penn. It's called it. like Nuclear Family or something. Maybe, yeah. And that movie's all about like you know, uh, dad, dumb dad, and hot wife and family, but they're behind glass, and people are walking by like, oh, look at that. If they would have done that in this movie. I would have been like, okay, at least you gave me something. At least in my mind, I could be like, oh, I guess if you really trap black people and beat them up and murder them, they murder people on yeah. there. And then, and then the the movie ends, <laughs> and then we've got post credits. Oh, I forgot uh, sequences where the FBI is there and they're interview. They're talking to everyone uh, there on the plantation after they've realized of whatever the hell is going on at this place. Um, and so it's made to feel like a real event. Yeah. Oh, it is. Fuck this movie. It's, no, it, it, it 100%. It's, I, I just, it's, 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 <sighs> <laughs> it's just not good. And uh, it's a bummer. It came out in like, you know, um, September, 2020 <laughs> yeah. going through one of the most heated elections and everything. I'm like, Oh man, we didn't need this. And, you know, you go online and you look up reviews. Tell me why everybody's like, if Jordan Peele would have directed it, it would have yeah. been great. It's like, 
what is, is that racism? <laughs> is is Jordan Peele like the king of black directors now? And any property that has a black cast needs yeah. to be directed by him. It's a little shame, man. I feel bad for him, man. Get out. Beautiful conversation. I think it was a really helpful film. And he's trapped. I don't think he's ever going to be able to get away from it. No, no. I mean, uh, Twenty Zone stinks. What about Lovecraft Country? Did he work on that? He put his name on it. Or they put his name on it because people really feel that I think way. I think he did head that project up, though. Now, we only got one episode in, in yeah. Lovecraft Country, but I liked it. Randy, I you sticking it with it? Uh, yeah, I think I'm all caught up. It's pretty good so far. I dig it. You know what I liked about Lovecraft Country? They, they had a nuanced conversation about the racism of H.P. Lovecraft. And they, did, they took the stance that I normally do. Love the art, not the artist. Also realized that a lot of our best art comes from a lot of the worst people. Yeah. And you're not born the worst person. It's usually uh, you get dealt a shitty hand. And if you can come out making beautiful art, man, we should celebrate it. I don't care if you uh, murdered and ate your family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Over, you know what? That might even make me more into it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. All right. We do it? I think so. All right. We've been doing podcast shit for five hours today. No, we haven't. <laughs> Longer. Uh, Russell, it's 3.30. We started at 11. We still got to do the <laughs> intro. Five hours. All right. Because someone, two hours, God damn it. I have fun. I like talking to you guys. I live with you, Clark, and I, you know, I enjoy coming up here. We, uh, we're focused. It's not usually a word that I would use to describe you. We can't do the show anymore. <laughs> I had to eat stale french fries because I hadn't eaten since like 10, p- 10 a.m. I haven't eaten since uh, 7.30 uh, pizza last night. Randy, where are the french fries from? Um, I forget. All right. Great conversation. Someplace down the street, I got a uh, Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Oh, how's that? It was pretty good. It wasn't too spicy, though. Could have used a little, little more hot. Oh, look at you, Mr. Heat Seeker. A little more hot. I'm something of a heat seeker, yeah. All right, well, boys, anything else? I need to pee and we need to do this intro. Did we do it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Randy. All right. I need I need more energy out of Randy. So enjoy enjoy the intro enjoy the interview uh, that we did with uh, Michael and Thomas. Again, um, look, Randy's going to do his magic on this thing. Uh, we we did have some uh, issues with the internet connection, so. Um, Thomas uh, had a bad connection, but we heard him perfectly fine. Um, and then Michael, uh, we heard him great, but he kept going in and out. So yep. uh, Randy's going to have to see what he can uh, extrapolate uh, from this and uh, uh, from the writer director of writers and director of Sleep, uh, which is a great film we talked about uh, as a part of our Fantasia coverage. And uh, these two, these guys are great, man. And I just. Um, Maybe if we need to to get them back here down the road, that's a possibility. Um, For sure, because they they definitely have very interesting perspectives, and uh, those two together uh, they have a good back and forth. It's a it's a good contrast, and uh, we had a great time talking uh, with them. And I hope that uh, you have an equal time listening. So, until next week, enjoy that, and uh, we'll see you then. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us, man. We're uh, we're we're excited to talk to you two. Um, we just. Um, I, I think the best way to to start this is that sometimes with the movie industry, it, it, it's a little gross. And uh, <laughs> sometimes, and, and I'm bringing this up because the, it, 
gross is a strong word, but uh, sometimes in order to to sell a movie, you got to market uh-huh. it well. And part of that marketing is an excellent poster, which you guys have for sleep. So thank you. Honestly, we were. We we 100% bought into this movie because the poster looked great. And I was like, oh, and it's the girl from uh, Tony Erdman, a movie which I love. So <laughs> sign me up. Let's go. And then this movie impressed the hell out of us. So you hooked us with the marketing, and then you delivered with an excellent film. Thanks a lot. Thank you Thank very you. much. Yeah. So because... Uh, yeah, so so it, 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 it's, it, it's not for a general audience, I guess, <laughs> that, that film, so... Because I'm speaking of a German uh, filmmaker, and so we, we we have always just to to give. Still, we have to still give to give lectures to people what is horror, and what's a horror film, and oh. and, and and how is a combination with art art house or a, a, a drama um, approach uh, possible. So so we are a development country in Germany. What 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 that? Uh, Ooh, kind can of you give feels. us a little taste of? What horror is with art house? I'd love to hear it. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so as we started to do to write that story, uh, we, we didn't knew didn't know that it's gonna gonna be a horror film. It just we wanted just to write a film, and and and, and Thomas and I talked about of things uh, which are confronting us, and then came our producer, and she. Uh, watched uh, Let the Right One In in Sweden and uh, was totally yeah. hooked by that um, crossover from, from art house drama and horror. And uh, it was, I guess, five or seven years ago. I don't remember well. But, uh, and, and, and that hooked us too. So why, and, uh, why, why can we bring the things we are talking about, the things that are confronting us uh, on in a quicker time on point uh, with a higher level of emotion and maybe theatric, um, I, I, I don't know the word, Thomas, theatralisch, theatrically, I don't know, with a, with a more bold um, approach on point. And so we found out the best way to, to tell our story is a horror movie. And uh, to finance that that was the next step uh, uh was kind of, i don't know it was a horror film too it was uh, a development hell a financing hell to to, mm. to get that on track in germany because germans um after 1933 germans uh weren't 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 disused for, uh, or can you say um lost the connection to the horror genre the, the same genre they invented in the weimar cinema because of uh, Nazi Germany and what else, and uh, uh, so we, we we kind of felt very doing pioneer work um, uh, to make that movie beside the underground. There were always an underground in Germany making horror movies, but it was really really B movies, and sometimes one, two or three films uh, per decade came out in that genre, not more after 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 the second world war so that was our experience and uh we are glad that we uh just just made it and 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 uh, uh yeah thomas what do you do you have to say to that yeah i think the one one aspect was that if you approach a decision maker let's mm-hmm. put it that way 
and say you are one, you're, you're trying to do a horror movie, the sophistication in um, what a horror movie is or what, what it can be is sometimes pretty limited because the genre has a bit of a, a I don't know, a bad reputation in Germany because most of the time, if you say I do a horror movie, everyone thinks oh, it's just, it has no artistic value. It's like it's junk. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit similar to the um, prejudice uh, comics have to deal with a lot of time. And so that was a point where we had to do educational work, like to say, okay, you think about Scream or, or um, more um, bloody movies, but we have a different kind of story to tell. And so, and then to, to get people to listen after they first shut down, after hearing we want to do a horror movie. So there was, most of the time, this was a, an obstacle we have to get over to and, and, get the people listening. Yeah. And our trick was at, at the core, yeah. it's a, it's a mother daughter drama. And it's, it's, a, it's a drama about uh, how, how the past infects the presence and can change the future. So, and that was a trick to say it's a mother daughter drama. Two years, it was a mother, a mother daughter drama, nothing else. And, uh, Some of the uh, some of our our partners had to 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 watch the film, the result of the film, to realize what they had uh, supported. <laughs> so and it, it it went well. So we are happy. Every everybody is happy with the with the result. Now, do you get the? Do you have context for what they're talking about, Clark? What do you mean? Like like German horror films? Like over here in America, I love. Um, like indie micro budget, like mm -hmm. heavy gore. Mm -hmm. And especially when I was younger. So in America, you know, uh, what we would think of uh, German horror mm -hmm. is like Ilsa, She-Wolf, where there's like Nazi exploitation or sure. um, even like necromantic, where it's sure, just yeah. like, oh, they're doing like vile shit over there. <laughs> so I could totally imagine when you go to a film fest and you're like, hey, we got a horror movie and people just roll their eyes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. We we talk about horror all the time. I mean, we defend found footage horror. So, like, we like uh, the Blair Witch and all those type of films where horror fans hate them. So, <laughs> you know, we love defending them. And on, there's, there's a weird counterculture over here where people worship A24. And they kind of call it elevated horror, which mm -hmm. would mean, uh, you know, it's a horror movie, but it's for the thinking man. Yeah. Now, normally, I only make fun of A24 because it's like, well, fuck you. I mean, Monster Squad could get you thinking. Yet, yes. I would, if I had to, I would say that uh, your film Sleep, it would definitely fall into the elevated genre. It is definitely, um, there's more nuance in this film than just like a ghost haunting a building. So when you were playing your movie in a film fest in your home country, how was it received? Uh, surprising, um, surprisingly, surprisingly good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we, because our film started at the uh, Berlin Film Festival, which is an A festival, and it's not made for for the genre. It's uh, it's uh, um, uh, the audience uh, expect drama, art house, something like that. And uh, now, now, normally, whenever you whenever a horror movie plays like a uh, A tier 
uh, film fest, they usually like to dump them in the midnight block yes. or something. Did did they um, push you to a little room late at night, or did you get a good time? We, we got a good I, time. Actually, we no, got the, we were in the, the most beautiful yes. cinema uh, in Berlin. It's yes. uh, the old um, premiere. You know, uh, this, uh, yeah, the cinema for the premieres in uh, East Berlin in GDR, and it's a beautiful building. It's it always I I'm always in awe when I uh, cycle uh, uh, past it, and now it's so totally weird because because our movie had its world premiere there, and um, yeah, you were also running in a in a section of the festival that's for uh, it's called Perspektive German Cinema, so it's uh, a section that is uh, um, especially for first, uh, yeah, for um, for for debuts, first, uh, but 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 it's uh, but but it's about yeah, yes. but it's a section about what's next, and they embraced us, and that mm. made us very happy. Um, there, yeah. there were some, some 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 there were some people in the audience, some priors in the audience. They wanted to kill us after sh uh, watching that film. <laughs> uh, because they expected Tony Erdman, uh, Erdman two or something, uh, something, uh, uh, um, I don't know what they expected. Yeah. And, and I don't know why, why they don't, uh, had, had a little clue when they, uh, uh, checked what, what's on the poster on, 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 on the artwork. I don't know. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, um, there is a little lack of experience with those kinds of films in Germany, but it's changing. So, so we, you know, obviously are in the middle of a pandemic. And I, uh -huh. I, when we watched the film, it was through Fan, uh, Fantasia, which of course had to go online. So how many, how long have you guys been um, in the festival circuit? And when sort of was the timeline when, when you were showing the film where you had to really switch over from theaters over to home viewing? And, and what's that been like? with the reception of the film. Thomas? Um, yeah, we had our world premiere in, at uh, Berlin Film Festival. That was at the mid-February, mid uh, mid-end February. So it was normal people packed everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, um, and two weeks later was the lockdown uh, in Germany. Um, so we went from hero to zero. Um, <laughs> and then it was a stretch of a couple of months. And then I think the first festival was Putin in Korea. I think it was the first festival that yes. where we Too were long. running. Yeah. And since then, most of the festivals are uh, switched to digital. Except Slash last week or two weeks ago in Vienna uh, was, I think, part physical. Oh, they are all um, hybrid, Thomas. So they are all hybrid. And, and, yeah, and they uh, are all hybrid, yeah. yeah. Since then, since July, since South Korea. And uh, uh, super, yeah. super nice it was, was Helsinki now. It's, it's, it's ended this day. Um, uh, they had the, the uh, theaters were half full with people. So they... Um, uh, made uh, they doubled the the screenings and that was a nice a nice solution to to yeah to present our film yeah. so and and so it's going on so yeah. we have our we have uh, uh, since July we have every month uh, premieres 
in uh, different countries and uh, our German premiere is in uh, the end of October and uh, um, comes together with our US American premiere in Chicago Film Festival. Uh, and, and so it's oh, going on. Yeah, it's fantastic. We have a fantastic time with it. Uh, it, it takes a, a fantastic journey. And uh, strangely, uh, um, uh, I, I, I got a feeling that I, I, I was there in person. I don't know why, but I was, um, um, I think there's, um, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, told uh, uh, I, I, I make films for for iPads, <laughs> and I think maybe a, a film of today has to to work on iPad uh, as well as in the cinema. I don't know, so I'm finding out. Now, have you guys attended any online film festivals? Intended, Micha, you did, huh? What did yeah. I? Yeah, like, have you um, watched any online? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have, we have uh, some, 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 some special access when, when, when you're um, nominated or something like that. You got special access to the other films, and that's very interesting. So, oh, rad. Yeah. What did you think of it? <sighs> well, I'm, I, um, there is kind of an atmosphere that uh, uh, um, what I told uh, there's a, there's an atmosphere that hooks me and I, f I have to feel uh, I'm, I'm in my fantasy I'm on that place where where the film is ritually screened but I miss the audience so it's 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 like uh, you know people are are um, going in restaurants instead of making noodles home uh, in, in their kitchen because of that atmosphere to, to share um, um, an event with other peoples. And that's something I miss a lot, of course. I'm sure. Yeah. Thomas, how is it? Can, can now, you I'm asking because we've, um, during the quarantine, yeah. we've, we've watched I think, like three or four film fests now. Yeah. And it's really interesting because everybody does it a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But I've been shocked at the the kind of presence the movie still has on a yeah. limited time. So when yeah. when we watched um, Sleep, we yeah. were given like limited access to Fantasia, and they're like, you know, ah. pick a couple movies, and then we'll decide if we want to send it to you. Mm -hmm. And um, Sleep was one of our first. I think it was literally it was one of the top three picks we got. Yeah, all right. And uh, when we got it. it it still has, it doesn't feel like Netflix and it doesn't feel like Amazon or Hulu. Mm -hmm. It feels like here's a limited screen mm -hmm. when it's on, you better pay attention. Yep. You never know if the link's going to burn after anything. And I don't know. I was, I'm kind of shocked that the film can still carry like power. Actually, it has more power oh. through a film fest curation mm -hmm. than like Netflix. And, and, and I'm just, I know you guys got to be film fans and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious if you're a little worried that our film fest life will turn into a, more of an online convenience than a in-person experience. I think uh, it's ambivalent like everything now in that COVID times, there are good things, there are bad things. And I think it's, uh, uh, impressing how, how the, how festivals, uh, get a solution just to, to, to happen. Uh, online but uh, the experience is uh, sometimes better than expected but I, as i said i miss i miss the event in a, in in the theater in a, in a house in in a um in that cathedral of, of watching films so we and 
I, I, I have my, I don't have concerns because I think we are, uh, I think it's, it's get, we are getting that back. Um, whether, when, um, there are some, some cinemas that multiplexes and so on, uh, It, it, that's what I, I I don't know the whole scene uh, and, and I don't know what's 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 going on globally, but I see uh, multiplexes. They are struggling quite more than the the, the smaller indie pro program cinemas yeah. because they are, don't need so much money to get their um, thing run uh, running, and uh, I think it, if they get out through that crisis, uh, they can be the winners. And the multiplexes with that, um, uh, I don't know, with that um, rotten atmosphere sometimes and that, that kind of lost place feeling I've got sometimes when I'm in a, in a, in a, in a multiplex because uh, um, yeah. the, 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 the things getting uh, not better year by year with all the people getting uh, through, through the rooms. It's getting, it's, it, it's, it's, it's chic when they are open. It's, it's nice when they are open, but uh, uh, in, in, a, in a very um, short time, it's, it's getting like a lot lost place. It gets, it's getting rotten. And uh, the, the smaller cinemas, they um, need to have an idea for an atmosphere or have a personal atmosphere, maybe they are the winners. That's what I'm hoping. So um, to get back in that uh, smaller cinemas, which um, have a personal approach and more, um, yeah. And that's what I'm hoping. And I'm hoping it, uh, just that they survive. And uh, then the, the the hunger and 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 we miss it. We are we are in the in, in the age of missing that, and uh, and and hope that and, and I hope it um, um, it pushes the 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 need of 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 places like that. So we were talking about movie theaters and returning to uh, sitting in the church of um, cinema. Yeah, it's just. I mean, honestly. Yeah. We're at the point now to where, you know, is is this going to be because let's face it, before COVID was a thing, movie theaters were already struggling. You know, the streaming services yeah. were getting more and more strength and you know, a lot of a lot of more films were going straight to the streaming services and But that you know, was before Tenant. And uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Tenant's gonna save movie theaters, clearly. Um, as you know, Christopher Nolan look, I appreciate uh the the candor and the confidence that Christopher Nolan has, but I think sometimes that, you know, narratively his films don't, uh, you know, I so hit the wide audience that he thinks they what, do. What do you guys think is better? Do you like a, a Christopher Nolan coming in saying, no, my film needs to play a theater. It is too epic for a home screen. Or do you like a Jordan Peele who's saying, my movie's opening, but don't go see it because COVID and you need to be safe? Uh huh. Um, I, I think I would be the the peel approach, okay. <laughs> but I also but I also think for me the situation right now um, I I have the feeling that a lot of uh, businesses or um, areas are they they are forced to build up an infrastructure digital infrastructure they kind of were trying to avoid in a way so sometimes mm -hmm. I think. For example, when I see small festivals, I think this hybrid approach is a big chance for a small festival to have 
on the one hand, uh, a really nice, cozy place, but on the other hand, it's the chance to get a wider audience. And on the other hand, bigger festivals will always be big because you need the I'm seen on the carpet thing and the, and the glamour factor and everything. It's in a big city, blah, blah. But um, so I think this, it's, now it's a time where this shift to digital, I mean, you in the States are much more, uh, much ahead of us. But in Germany, there's uh, a lot of um, prejudice against uh, digital or a lot of companies that kind of, um, they don't really progress there, but now they have to. Mm. So I think mm. it's, it can be, it can mm -hmm. be a chance to, to have this, this shift. Um, and maybe also it's, it's a time where you have to take chances. And... Um, German culture is not a lot of times not really about taking chances, but now we're kind of forced to take chances in a way. I mean, we did take some chances. Let's be clear, but so with different kind of chances, I'm talking about. So, um, so I think this time here is uh, it's a, it can be a chance uh, to kind of build up an infrastructure that should be there since 10, 15 years. Yeah. All right now. Your film's not coming out for uh, at, at least a little bit. Do you? Oh no, it's Friday. Your film's coming out, correct? No, uh, it's uh, the cinema. It's twenty uh, ninth October. Oh, October twenty ninth. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, it's oh, man. It's such a nuanced, interesting film, and I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about your influences because. Looking up your, your movie briefly, uh, you're sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, uh, congratulations. But Thank you. I feel like all the critics are, yeah, uh, they're a little yeah. bit hack. <laughs> they, they don't really mm -hmm. watch a lot of horror. And um, everything I'm seeing is, you know, it's good, but it's derivative of David Lynch. Or, you know, it's The Shining, but it's German. And it's like, you, you fucking idiots. You, you, you have no dialogue. <laughs> to talk about horror movies. And yeah. I think uh, just opening up with maybe influences. I mean, you have a couple actresses we love, like Clark mentioned from Tony Ergman and a, a film mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is very close to me. Um, Nothing bad can happen. And uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And also this is your first movie, both of you, both first uh, time feature and you co-wrote it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's get a little bit into the production. Um, I guess you guys could sell me on Tony Ergman, as I remember Clark <laughs> uh, ranting about it like a year ago, uh, like three years, like ago, three years. And then we were supposed to have an American remake, right? I, I'm glad that that, uh, <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> really? An American remake? Oh yeah. They were going to do it with, uh, Kristen Wiig and Jack Nicholson. And, uh, <laughs> thankfully that died on the operating table. That would be, Yeah. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about casting your film? Yeah. So, so, so as we started, we just wanted, uh, um, very early we had that uh, need for a dream language on our desk because we wanted to talk about uh, hidden dreams and nightmares and all that. Thomas, Thomas has a, a bit better English to, to describe that. My, my, my translation is... Um, yeah, I think... No, but anyhow, maybe... Would you add something to the, to the, the, the wise words I said? 
No, that, that, um, right from the beginning. I mean, right from the beginning, there was the plan to make a horror movie. And of course, we, we watched a lot of horror movies. But on the other hand, we um, put our story in the center of it. So there was no... Um, of the, we had this idea of, uh, of the story that's um, evolving around these nightmares because yeah. we wanted to have a fresh demon, uh, let's put it that way. And so we had this, we kind of dug out this pagan belief of this um, dark elk who comes at night and suffocates you and that causes the nightmare. It's the mare. Uh, in German, it's the Alp. Um, that's the name of the demon. So we thought about that and about this, um, this, um, yeah, this topics and that's, uh, that kind of, that around we build our story and, um, the, the horror aspect. So they all evolved out of the story, not out of the, um, out of the need to make a horror movie. So it was, um, kind of a natural, uh, it, it, it developed naturally out of the story because the story had this horror in it. And, um, yeah, yeah and it's so it, it's so funny, and it's so funny how many um, uh, guesses we hear. Uh, what's our inspir inspiration? And um, for me, that's between plot, storyline, storytelling, and myth and secret. And, and we have our secrets, and uh, and when we have our storyline. Um, they kind of uh, build up a logical resonance how how um, something can be shown or told. So um, uh, uh, like 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 Carl Gustav Jung, that that Swiss uh, psychiatrist, um, people in different cultures uh, got uh, similar dreams and similar meanings to the dreams. No, that's that's a very interesting uh, perspective because uh, that's one of the the main things that uh, you know I, I definitely took away from the film is that it looks beautiful and again the, those dreamscapes are very haunting and uh, the the fact that you 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 know the inspiration was really more um, based in reality opposed to, to to film is is actually a very interesting. Ross, what do you think about that? Well, you know, when I originally watched it, I almost thought you guys had been inspired by uh, conspiracy theories. As the film kind of, mm. you've got an unreliable narrator. Well, you think of that about everything. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, you guys <laughs> should know Russ is QAnon, so yeah, Russ can QAnon. Right. Yeah, Trump. Oh. Trump is part of the CIA. I believe that. <laughs> now. Um, no, no. I mean, we have an unreliable narrator. It seems like she could have DID, which uh, un un regrettably most people know about from that um, Shyamalan film. What Split was that the one with the yeah. multiple personalities? And then um, we've got our, you know, our protagonist in her daughter, who's kind of traveling through history, literally, and like almost through like an oral storytelling of the nightmares her mom has told her. It's very deep. And uh, mm -hmm. I almost, I, I was thinking, like, is, is this, like, based on a conspiracy theory? Are we going to, like, uproot the Illuminati in this mansion? I don't know. <laughs> do you guys, like, do you guys subscribe to any of that? Michael, do you want, do you want to go first? Yeah. Should, should, we, should we talk about that secret we got? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 won't, uh, I, I won't tell uh, any secrets. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, Thou, but um, don't talk about it, Thomas. The, 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 no, don't talk. I, 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 uh, what do you guys know about reptiles or something? No, What's no, going the, on? The thing is with conspiracy theories. I, I get it, and I, but I think it's because with conspiracy theories, you construct the reality out of your perception, which is, um, which is also an unreliable narrator because it's based mm -hmm. on your, um, of your perception of, of or, or the information you choose to believe in. And um, with our story, it's kind of similar because our own life is um, controlled by our childhood and about the ideas and the, I would say, beliefs we get installed in a way. And the, um, the problem we wanted to um, address is how trauma and um, or crimes or yeah trauma especially can travel through generations without being talked about it's a very subliminal mm -hmm. thing and um, so and this like a trauma can shape your behavior like a trauma of your grandmother can shape your behavior even that you don't know your grandmother I think it's a kind of similar way as a kind of um, I I think um, It's a bit uh, hacky to cite uh, myself, but I, <laughs> I think that your own um, memory is your own um, conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think your own, your own memory is, in a way, a kind of a conspiracy theory you live by. So that's why I said I can, I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah it, it's kind of like you're trying to connect two dots. And you don't know how they're related, yeah. so you create a reason or a narrative. And yeah, yeah, I I the think same way with understanding your mother. Yeah, no, you have a limited you have a limited amount of data points, and you you want to and you want to make sense of it, but you you are trying to avoid the idea that it's just a complex fucked up shit show. So you want to make sense of it. And, and I think history is kind of the same. I mean, uh, modern life is pretty complex stuff. But if you are overwhelmed by the idea that you don't know enough and you are feeling, I don't know, unmanly when you have to say, I don't know, you start to make connections where there are no connections. And that's a conspiracy theory. No, and, and I think that's why your film's getting compared a lot to The Shining. Because you have mm -hmm. a... Um, a deliberate and a thoughtful camera and mm -hmm. where we have a protagonist who's living in a space where um, she's not familiar, but she's also looking for answers. And I think, mm -hmm. we, and, we, you know, people, we do a weird thing. And, you know, if we stay in a hotel, it sometimes it can have an energy or if you go out to a cabin where people haven't been in a long time, it can feel like kind of empty. Like, you know how people say a house mm -hmm. feels warm with life. And I think yeah. you, you guys do a good job of like, you know, exploring architecture for answers and mm. trying to figure out the state of mind somebody was in when they occupied this space prior. And I think, you know, people, we, we turn that into um, ghostly presence or like a haunting narrative. So when I see mm. critics just going like, oh, it's the shining, I'm like, mm. you just don't have a vocabulary for this. Mm. You think I'm crazy yeah. there, Clark? No, I, I think it goes back to the original point of, um, I mean, look, even outside of Germany, horror gets a bad rap. 
uh, even here in the states. You know, you know what I mean. Like, and and yeah. again, uh, Russell is is much more entrenched in the horror community as I do not have any horror related tattoos or anything like that because I feel yeah. like yeah, again, I don't either. Don't don't put me there. Uh, I find Pokemon <laughs> to be horrifying, but uh, I oh, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that. The horror community is a very look. It's a very loving community. I, I it they're very open, and um, however, they are very fickle and uh, defensive. Yeah, and I think that mm. uh, Russell it goes back to your point about the the elevated genre, and so defenses are automatically put up. You know that uh, oh, you think this film is is better than than the other horror films that I like, so. It's this constant battle that I just wish we would all get. Why can't we all be friends here? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just. I think the problem is just in the, you know the Venn diagram where horror film fans and film fans overlap. Mm-hmm. Where film fans, mm-hmm. you know, especially now we live in an incredibly PC environment, and critique of anything that's trying to tackle like a social issue. You kind of mm-hmm. get you. You kind of come up against a strong and loud defense, especially on like a Twitter platform. And I think when uh, I cuties, I think a lot of critics, you know, they get burnt out in this kind of droning on echo of "I have to love every SJW movie." And then you know, a little horror movie comes along, and it's like they get to unload. Right, you can just fire on a horror film, and nobody cares. Yeah, and. You know, then you get A24 and they're kind of like, you know, no, but uh, we're elevated. There's more to it here. You Mm. see, uh, uh, this Christian sect, uh, they're pagans. And it's like, how I don't don't understand how that elevates the genre. And there's so much to learn. Like, I just got Clark to watch Fright Night for the first time. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he he refused to watch a vampire film because he thought vampires were... Vampires are lame, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah, you know, Fright Night is like a rear window horror movie. Love Fright Night. Yeah. Love it. But it's like, unless you contextualize it that way, or you have like, you know, um, the current critic of the era kind of praising it, I don't think uh, the people will just, um, what, follow along? Right. Yeah, so I don't know. The thing is, I think you guys, you made an incredibly thoughtful and nuanced film, and... uh, I, I don't know. It, it, the poster and everything. It just <laughs> screams art. And over here, um, people are eating that up. I, I wish I had a better name for like whatever subgenre it would be, but I just refer to it all as A24 esque. No. Do you have anything like, I don't know, art house? Yeah, or art I don't house. know. I, I, I didn't watch that, but, but I have to, I yeah. guess. Well, A24. I, but but yeah. it's, isn't it? Isn't it? And aren't we a kind of a generation, or are more more viewers like like me that are fascinated from from dark horror films as well as they are fascinated as kids from from ET or <laughs> Louis Buñuel. Yeah, so sure. that, that's me. I, uh, in the morning, I, 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 I hear black metal. In the evening, I hear a song, sing a songwriter song, Joni Mitchell. I don't know. And, <laughs> and, 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 and maybe you can call it post, post or 
post post modern modern i don't know what it is yeah. but it's uh, yeah. but 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 there are more and more people that want to get into that small niches yeah. they want to open it up and they want to 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 the complexity of the world is a complexity of emotions yeah. too and uh, sometimes um, it's it's uh, the same way confronting when then little et nearly dies and it's it's in, in the same way confronting uh, like like a splatter scene i don't know yeah. it's sometimes yeah. it's all oh, it's the same to me i can I, I, I'm, I think there are films of escapism and confrontation, and confrontation comes in very has many phases, and sometimes there are monsters, and, and I'm open to that, and and I, um, I don't want to, yeah, yeah Thomas. Yeah, yeah. What I um, this this horror thing because I am not a huge horror. I wouldn't call me a horror fan because I just don't know. Um, enough horror movies, but what I always loved about the horror genre was this strange combination of rules and fuck rules, in a way. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, we had this book about, uh, I, had a, I have a book about horror, it's a collection of essays and the title is um, of horror, of, no, of rules and monsters. And mm -hmm. um, the nice thing is that uh, the horror genre has on the on the one hand, there's a really clear language to it. There's a perception what a certain kind of horror movie needs to have in a way. But on the other hand, there is the monster and the monster is, is chaos. So um, breaking rules is, is loved in a way. So, and I always, I was always drawn to this combination of um, having a very enthusiastic um, fan base that kind of loves to um, get on, uh, to talk about these different tropes and different subgenres, but also appreciate um, a movie that just plays around with everything like that. So, um, and I think also because maybe horror is a bit is relatively close to outsider art, so the fan uh, is more attached to it because it's his thing. It's not so in, in, interchangeable than mainstream art. So, the, um, so it's much closer to the heart in a way. And it's such a physical genre. It's the only genre that really makes you feel your own body because it's about yeah, the of your own body. Pornography. <laughs> pornography? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Like pornography, you said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that you're feared by your body. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> joking. <laughs> I'm Catholic. So what? Oh. <laughs> I'm ex-Catholic. I'm 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 a I'm a recovered uh, Catholic. I'm um, recovering ex-Catholic. Yeah, no, I, but, I I always say um, my my Christianity's in remission. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So now it's also this uh, repulsion of um, of an audience that's not so into horror, and then it sees a horror movie, and it's so confront uh, confronting, and um, it's physical. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it, it 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 lets you feel the integrity of your own body, and lets you fear the your own uh, the integrity of your own body. It's so close. It's so um, it's so direct, and it's not. Um, it kind of it's so overreaching. And I think that's well, there was one re reason why these four older ladies were so angry at us uh, 
uh, at the film festival, at the Berlinale Film Festival, they, they came down the stairs after the movie yeah. and they were shouting at us and cursing at us. And it took me more than an hour to calm them down. Oh, um, <laughs> which was fun. It was a nice <laughs> conversation. It was a nice discussion. But they yeah, were so free <laughs> because they didn't, they didn't read the, the, the information about the movie. They just didn't read it. And I said, hey, come mm -hmm. on. If you realize the 10 minutes that this is too much for you, please leave the cinema. Oh. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But don't come to me after one, after two hours and say that I don't have the right to express myself as a filmmaker. And, I'm, and that was the starting point. But at the end, we all uh, came to the conclusion that we love the same artist and that mm -hmm. it was fine. And um, that the next time they feel overwhelmed and they feel that it's too much, that they should take care of themselves and leave the cinema. Um, yeah, I think it's just yeah. horror. It's just, it's just too much for people because it just takes you at places that are rough. And Thomas, that is the exact reason of why we need cinemas back, because you would not be able to have that discourse online. It would have gone a completely different route. It was great. I, I, for Michael, it was a bit too much because he had the week was so stressful for him because he had re he really had to go from appointment to appointment. And for me as a writer, no one really wants to talk to me. Not in that <laughs> amount of occasion, which is kind of nice. And in that occasion, I could be the one to step in and say, talk to me. I wrote it. <laughs> so uh, it was a nice. It was. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was strange. Yeah, and, and, and it, yeah, and it brings cinema brings people together. So it's a collective yeah. experience, and that's what I'm missing. Yeah, sure. I can I can can watch a movie with my wife and a couple of friends, but um, with with uh, people I be in that you say that cathedral cathedral um uh and and with the ritual feeling you have if you go uh, to share that experience with um people you don't know it's Thomas. Yeah, the moment when the movie ends and the light goes on and everyone mm -hmm. is kind of standing up and you see all those faces and you can see in the faces that they have a similar experience that you have you mm -hmm. don't you you'll never meet them again You don't mm. know that, mm. but at this moment, when the light goes on, you see, you have this this connection in a way because you see, oh, they were all overwhelmed, they are all run over, they are all um, happy. So this is a you can't exchange that with a, a streaming link. That's mm. not working. So we need this place, that place. Um, yeah, and it's also I think it's kind of a uh, laboratory. Uh, a cinema because you can um, that's also an aspect that I really love about horror because it's you can kind of experiment with uh, a level of intensity with your emotions and with mm -hmm. situations that are extreme and it's like a, it's like a dry run of um, of chaos in a way it's a dry run of um, of extreme situations so the cinema a, gives you the chance to kind yeah, of explore this emotional range, uh, and so you can learn or 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 get cl or get closer to it and how you would feel 
it's uh, yeah, it's like a re- laboratory, like a experiment. Uh, we've got the movie finally uh, be able to hit in the United States here shortly. Um, so, what are you guys? Are you guys working uh, on something uh, in the future? Collaborating again? Uh, what's going on? Yeah, it looks so. So, so there's a new project was started last week. I think. Oh, okay. I just wanted to 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 say that a new project we it's in a different uh, constellation. So I'm. Uh, I will write with a uh, another great writer, uh, Kali Boxholm, who and she also helped us on sleep. Um, she was our she she yeah she came in to as a consultant, um, and I will write with her, and Micha's gonna direct. So if it if everything works out, yeah. So it's gonna be the next project. I hope. Love it. Yeah. Well, Thomas and Michael, thanks so much um, for hanging in there with us with all these technical difficulties. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to battle the Internet. So uh, we greatly appreciate it, uh, y'all's flexibility, hopping over uh, to a different uh, format for us to record this. And, uh, look, we're super excited to see whatever you guys uh, do in the future. We we love sleep. Um, this was uh, honestly one of the biggest takeaways that we had from uh, Fantasia. And uh, it was great to talk to you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks for having us. us. Yeah, it was a, was a pleasure. We had fun. <laughs> oh, yeah.